Outdoors. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad we can be here with you this morning and glad you're joining us. I am Veda with Palladio <laughs> Gardens. <laughs> and I'm ah. Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Center. I'm the other guy. And I've got broken headphones, Miss Veda. And, yes, uh, um, sorry I didn't mean to snatch them off your head and slam them on the ground you know, and stomp on no them. No one can control you anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness, y'all. So, boy, I'm loving this spring weather. Mm-mm. This psyching me out spring it's, weather. It's the faux spring weather. Oh, uh, yeah. See, I was thinking that this yeah. morning we had the faux fall, so now we have the spro, spro spring. Yeah, that, whatever that's called. <laughs> the but, faux spring. God, this week has been beautiful, though. It's been some mm-hmm. of the prettiest weather, you know. know, you know, in the last year, if you ask me. Anytime you have mm-hmm. blue skies, beautiful sunny days, no humidity. Yeah, you it's know, fantastic. And where it was actually a little hot for a minute. And, of course, you know what they say about Memphis weather, don't you? Mm-hmm. If you... Close your eyes and open them, it's changed? No, that's one. But I'm saying if the weather stayed like this, we couldn't afford to live here. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> you we know what I'm saying? We gardening all the time. Oh, man, but it's been great. And people have, you know, people are just, we say this every year, they're chomping at the bit mm-hmm. just to get outdoors. Yeah. They can't wait. Just give me any excuse to go outside and I'll do it. Well, that, that's what a you lot know? of folks were saying. It's had a lot of people just looking and enjoying being outside and planning, planning for a little later. Uh, biggest question was, can I plant now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have the people coming in looking for tomatoes already. Did you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it never fails. <laughs> Been a bunch of talk about them on the on our website on our facebook oh yeah well, that's so it's your fault then. it's right. my fault it yeah. is of course so some, we all know we're going to build a tomato table so. yeah, well exactly we were talking mm-hmm. about that remember last weekend but you know the frost date is april 15th and all that means is if you put anything <laughs> means nothing <laughs> yes. <you> mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly 18 1889 it was uh, april 24th well there you go you know global warming right <laughs> yeah but if you uh if you put anything tender outside before april the 15th you're taking a chance and tomatoes are a tender well, that's plant a big, big okay? chance yeah uh, because typically around here our last frost is around april 15th and i promise you the last three or four years i remember having frost mm-hmm. on the windshield of my vehicle april the 15th i think last year maybe even the 16th mm-hmm. or 17th so you know, we got to hold our horses just a little bit. Trees and shrubs, perennials, yeah. not a problem. Right. Tender plants, you got to hold off just a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. This is a good time to get, you know, if you didn't have your blooming things already in the ground, now's a good time to mm-hmm. get them so you can have them blooming this year for you. Well, y'all, I almost fell out of my chair this morning. I was reading the commercial appeal, right? Mm-hmm. And remember back in the day, they always had a garden section. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that's long since been gone. And I was, guess, towards the end of the paper, and there's this big old article in yes. there about viburnums, and I'm like, Who's doing this? Yeah, I love yeah. it. You know, finally, mm-hmm. there's something in the paper, Jim, about, invade about something that has yeah. to do with gardening. But then the crazy thing is, there's it's not a Mid-South person. No, it's somebody, you know, somebody they probably bought the information from and put in the paper. So I'm like, okay, we've got all these talented people in the Mid-South and we're, not, you know, not me specifically, right, but there's but, lots of people here that could do that instead of 
out no. of town. And, and I am sitting here looking at you, by the way. So, yeah. But it was about viburnums. And in this case, I think, you know, the one that it was showcasing was the uh, snowball viburnum. Um, and, you know, we've said this, uh, you know, many, many times over. There's so many different viburnums out there on the market. I bet you can't guess mine. Snowy Joey. Yes. There you go. <laughs> and, and, and I think it's just a really underplanted shrub. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it reminds me of this huge, blooming, white, blooming hydrangea, you know, even though it's, it's a viburnum, but it reminds me of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think, you know, we need to incorporate viburnums a little more in the landscape than we have been because there's so many different varieties out there. And I've always wondered why they're under underplanted. Don't know. Well, it's because unless they're in bloom, they're just inconspicuous, Jim. In, particularly in a container. Yeah. You know, they they tend to have fairly sparse foliage. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get one that's got 25 canes coming up, you don't notice that. Yeah. Um, they've got some of them have fantastic berries mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in blues and reds um but it, they're just <laughs> not very attractive in a container it's hard yeah. for people to envision that you know when you walk up and you see a, a a holly you know it's full size of the container yeah straight up can't see through it yeah you know mm-hmm. but when you have four sticks Right. Up like that. And they have a huge bloom on the top of them. You go, well, the bloom's pretty. But then when the bloom's gone, you got the four sticks again. All right. Yeah. So it's hard to retell them. It is. Yeah. They're, because, they're tough. Except for the snow, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> it actually does. Uh, that's why I'm so in love with it, I guess, is because it does have good structure. It didn't look bizarre in the container. Mm-hmm. And it's actually getting ready to bust out and bloom. So now I'm going to get to see how come it's got snow <clears throat> in the name. Yeah. We'll find yeah. out. I'm sure. It has some white blooms on there I somewhere. Maybe so. I was wondering. You know how we were talking about varmints last weekend. You know, I was telling you just a story about the raccoons mm-hmm. that were sleeping in the lady's pot that was on the front porch, and she just just refused to go out the, her front door anymore. Right. Well, I, this week in particular, I've had three people come into the garden center buying melorganite mm. for deer repellent. Okay. Now, you know, we sell tons and tons. We all do sell milorganite this time of year, which is a really yeah. good organic fertilizer. You can put on anything and everything, especially a lot of people putting around their boxwoods this time of year. Yeah. And they'll go out there and put a little lime, a little boxwood, and I will talk about that later. But I've had three people come in this week telling me they're buying milorganite, not to be used only as a fertilizer, of course, mm-hmm. but to be used as a deer repellent. You know, at 64, that's what we sold the most of it for. That is unbelievable. I mean, yeah. I was like scratching my head like, okay, is there, where are these people living? And is, why all of a sudden, where are these well, deer coming from? In my case, you could be living in Bartlett, you know, and yeah. the deer there. Um, you know, if, if you go way back when Mill Organite was um, younger, yeah. years ago, uh, they kind of advertised it as a deer repellent because it had been fairly well proven that, yeah. you know, deer just didn't like to feed in the area. So they started putting out some POP information about that. Mm-hmm. Well, then the EPA says, oh, you're not a fertilizer. Oh. You're a repellent. Oh, Lord. So they said, you fall under a different classification. So we got letters. We got all kinds of information. Do not talk about milorganite being a deer repellent, you know, and, you know, because the EPA is going to make us change. And so anyway. Unbelievable. Time went on, though. But a number of universities did studies based on yeah. I did a little bit of reading about that last that night. information. So once the studies were published, then it becomes 
general information, and uh, then you can recommend an off-label yeah. um, application. And, and, and what do you mean anything that I even recommended? They came in looking for it for that reason. Right. You know, so they had heard or had used it before, uh, not only as a really good organic fertilizer, but also as a, quote, deer repellent. Yeah, right. And In I do the, hear some some gardening show talk about using repellent, a uh, millorganite for repellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be... You, Kenneth? Yeah, you? Be. Me? Well, in the yeah. Northeast, you yeah. know, where, where deer are such a problem. Um, it's It's been used up there for forever. Uh, it's really in the last 25 or 30 years we've yeah. started using it here in the South because deer have become such an issue now. Here. Yeah, they have. And it's funny, y'all, because the people that I was talking to, they come in and they say, you know, most people when they see, you know, a little herd of deer, they're like, oh, look at the yeah. deer. Aren't they beautiful? Mm-hmm. You know, nature's finest. And they're looking at these deer like, what the heck are they going to eat in my landscape next? Yes. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's just the way they felt that's about it. Right. You know, when you get up one morning and all of your hostas are chewed off at the ground, yeah. their cuteness effect goes away real yeah. quick. <laughs> well, and, and when I was reading last night, guys, on Milorganite, uh, which I love as a fertilizer, but in this case is a deer repellent, uh, they said it can last up to four to five weeks, and that kind of threw me a little bit. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine that it could last up to that long, Just I guess depending on how much rain you get also. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if you're... You know, having a deer problem, and a lot of people out there are, um, you know, there are some good repellents on the, I mean, true repellents on the market, whether it's the shake away, which is the Cody urine, you know, the repels all. But, man, if you want to do some feeding and repelling at the same time, you know, That's kind of a two one. for one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How could you mess up with that? There's no way. There's benefits both kind of ways. So that's something you can get that you can do more than one thing with. And, you know, that used to be the thing in the uh, past where you would get a fertilizer or a insecticide and it could only be used for that. And now things are becoming broader where we can use one product for many different things. Yeah. And, and, and quick side note here is when a lot of times when I think of milorganite, I've got a funny story behind it, too. Mm-hmm. I think I, I told you this before, Veda. Uh, two or three years ago, my mother is famous for her spaghetti dinners. And that's the only way that she knows she can get the whole family together, right? Yeah. At her house. If she just throws out a bulletin, we're having spaghetti tonight. Everybody shows up. Well, she did that two or three years ago. But on that same day, she had someone come out there and feed all of her <laughs> azaleas. And they used milorganite. And I promise you, it was probably 89 degrees at night. It was humid. Ooh. It was sticky. Mm-hmm. And they had put milorganite down and watered it in. So I'll pull up in my mom's driveway, and I'm thinking, what in the heck is that god-awful smell? And it was milorganite. Well, she had also set up some tables, not a table, in her back fenced-in, screened-in mm-hmm. patio area for people to eat. <laughs> Do you think anybody went out there and had dinner that night? Not, not Absolutely long. not. So not I'm just long. saying, if you're using this product, which I love, this time of year it doesn't have much of a smell because it's cooler. But when it's hot, you want to plan around that, right. okay? Right, exactly. And then your story reminds me of when uh, first uh, we were working in some yards in a small y- lot, Jan. <laughs> 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 She's been doing that 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 new language stuff. That's, Jim. that's a small lot line. No, what is it? Zero no, lot line. You. Yeah, no, zero. I, I okay, understood what you were saying. Thank you. Zero lot line. So what we're doing in this area, the people right next to it can see or smell it. So we were putting out this this Spoma fertilizer. Yeah, Spoma was, has a scent. Yeah, too. it was you know kind of 
not well known at the time very well. And so we're fertilizing and we see the neighbor and we're like, hey, neighbor, you know, uh, he's walking out down the sidewalk and I see him stop and start looking at the bottom of his shoes <laughs> like he had stepped in something. And so I went over there and I go, that's no, you're not you're not crazy. That's our organic fertilizer. You know, organic it doesn't smell like that. But if you're not familiar, you're wondering yeah. what just happened. Organics have a nice aroma. Right. You know, they yeah, sure do. They do. Say so that, that just sold me on them. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? that's the thing. It sometimes is real difficult. Or how about like the uh, mosquito insect repellent? Mm-hmm. We always tell, I always tell them, don't do it on party night. Yeah. You need to maybe do it in the morning because that smell is still hanging out out there. Okay, then we're going to run to a break, and uh, if y'all want to call us in and t- call in and tell us our. Call in and give us a question. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) You better take us out, Jim. (laughs) All right, you're listening to Mid South Gardening right here on KWAM. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome back. That music will maybe get my uh, speech straightened out. Get awake. I, I wake up early, but it sure doesn't sound like I wake up early. Yeah, you beat me here this morning. Just barely. <laughs> Jim's here studying and getting us all ready. Well, not studying. You don't have to study. No, I was actually eating breakfast <laughs> when Claire, Claire pulled up I this think morning. Jim and Claire stay up here. I yeah. really do. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to give us a call, it's easy. 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the... Uh, Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text uh, like Jan did. She said, spring, 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 fling is coming soon. I love it. That means we're really getting close to spring. Yep. Yeah. Well, let me say this, guys. We were talking about, you know, using Milorganite as a deer repellent. Uh, but, you know, f- predominantly we're selling a lot of that product this time of year uh, for boxwoods uh, in particular. You know, even though you can put it on anything, of course. Uh, but people that have boxwoods, I mean, for 100 years or more, you know, they've been using something like milorganite. And, you know, I wanted to bring that up because it seems like every year, this time of year, uh, I don't care what kind of boxwood you have, old American boxwoods, some English boxwood, the hybrids, and everything in between. Uh, some of the good things to do, you know, this time of year is go out there, get a bag of milorganite, and... Uh, sprinkle that granulated fertilizer around the boxwood. You can do it now, not a problem. Uh, typically speaking, I like to put a little bit of lime around my boxwoods also, even though you can have a pH test run to see exactly mm-hmm. what your pH is. But overall, kind of like roses, I like to just put a little lime around them every year just to keep that pH up uh, where it needs to be. The clematis um, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then, um, you know, another thing with, with boxwoods is, you know, they are very shallow rooted and we see people make a mistake all the time of putting just a heavy layer of mulch around them. They don't mind a light layer of mulch, which I don't either. They don't, the mulch does not even have to be all you the way under the You look good in a shrub. light layer of mulch. Light layer of mulch, right. Jim. I don't want a heavy layer of mulch. <laughs> but boxwoods just really don't like that. And like you're saying, Veda, you know, especially mulch, uh, you'll see a heavy layer of mulch around these boxwoods, and you'll see it all the way up to the crown or to the, mm-hmm. tr- you know, the limbs or the trunks of the boxwood, and that's surely a no-no. So a little bit of lime this time of year, uh, pretty heavy application of milorganite uh, this time of year, uh, light layer of mulch 
Uh, you, know, you can do um, this time of year. Even compost. You can put compost on the ground Absolutely. and mulch over that. Or, or just use the compost as your top That's dressing. Yeah. And then, you know, especially this year, it seems like a lot of people are going out there and doing just a little kind of trimming, a little pruning uh, to knock off some of that winter burn uh, that we're seeing on uh, a lot of these boxwoods. Uh, you know, it doesn't take, I don't know why this year, Jimmy, it seems like last mm-hmm. year in Veda also, you know, we saw a good bit of, not not the bronzing, but a good bit of winter burn uh, or some little bit, you know, tip dieback on these boxwoods. So a light shearing is fine. This is a perfect time of year to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of lime, a little bit of milorganite, light layer of mulch, and then go about your business. You'll be in fine shape. And uh, the boxwoods, we still, we've been talking a lot about the new disease the boxwoods get. <clears throat> potentially. And, yeah, potentially. Yes, that's true. So... What boxwood? So didn't we come up with the wintergreen? That's the one that's most resilient to this? Well, there's a long list, and Jim might even have it in his file somewhere. But there's a long, I shouldn't say, there's a long, fairly long list mm-hmm. of boxwoods that are less prone to getting right. this potential blight, that boxwood blight mm-hmm. that we've been trying to keep out of the Mid-South forever. Um, and then, you know, there are some of these, what is it, new-gen mm-hmm. uh, boxwoods, uh, which are new hybrids, Veda. You, I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, they're supposed to be a lot more blight resistant. And I think eventually, you know, if boxwood blight becomes a problem, a true problem here in the Mid-South, let's hope it doesn't, people will start gravitating towards these boxwoods that are more resistant to this blight. Well, just think, when I, I got a shipment of boxwoods this, this week, and we have to take the certificate that mm-hmm. we get from the grower, mm-hmm. that certificate, and that proves they've inspected it and all, but now we have to actually send it to the, um, the call. Who are we sending it to? Well, you pull USDA. The, yeah. And, yeah. You, and yeah. then a lot of times you got to pull the boxwoods to the side and have, uh, like, Leslie Hollingsworth come by mm-hmm. and inspect them before yeah. you push them out for sale. So, I mean, they're doing a lot of things to try to keep, mm-hmm. you know, these diseases from really taking a foothold here in the Mid-South, which I think is a great thing. Right. Uh, because, I mean, think about it. You know, there's a lot of boxwoods out there, guys. Mm-hmm. And that's all we need is another disease out there that's hard to control. Uh, kind of like, the, you know, the the crate myrtle bark scale. You right. know, we didn't used to have scale that attacked our crate myrtles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we surely don't want to have a blight that's going to attack our boxwoods, Jim. No, we don't. No, but yeah. I mean, but yeah. I mean, but, like, but, but my point, though, is, well, my point, though, is we already know there's been at least one case here in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's going to spread, you know. Um Eventually, See, we'll get to hear that. We'll get to that point, like they talk about with COVID, to herd immunity. Yeah, mm-hmm. where there won't be enough of those boxwoods around for the disease to continue to flourish, uh, like I think it will over the next three to five years. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully, we're I wrong. Just, right, I just think that there's so. M- uh, there are so many people doing mm-hmm. yard work. That you know operate out of a pickup truck may or may not have a business license. I just do not believe that they're going to be as expeditious as far as cleaning, cleaning their tools, yeah. wearing the little galosh sock things mm-hmm. over their shoes. Not that you happen. really, yeah, yeah. it's not going to happen. Uh, so I, I expect we're going to see some spreading of it, uh, particularly inside the loop where there are uh, so many large boxwood plantings yeah. um yeah so i could see it, 
would be more reactive to soil that's too wet, soil that's compact, like too much mulch. All those things already stresses. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna that's gonna add to it. Uh, the the one upside is that if you see one and and believe that you've got it, there are preventatives that you could start spraying with. Okay, and if you'll do that for probably a year, stay on a good fungicide regimen, you probably can eliminate it from your garden. But you're going to have to be proactive about doing that. Mm. Yeah, uh, I see. In this case, because there's a lot of organic fertilizers that work as a fungicide, but I don't think I think we're going to have to go harder than organic fertilizer to conquer this what are do you know the names of them yet what what's out there that'll, that'll uh, propagonazole is and what uh is um so that's dagonil it's fertilone no, systemic that, uh yeah fertilone systemic um oh what's the fungicide uh, the, the, the uh, uh the other name for it uh, i can't think of it right now uh but yeah it's in most of the systemic mm-hmm. fungicides that you buy right now. Yeah, so if you see one, a fungicide that has um, copper, no, that's not going to work. It's probably not your best choice, mm-hmm. right. Um, any of those that end in OLE are likely to do uh, mm-hmm. tibiconazole, mm-hmm. Um, is I think in the spectricide product. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, uh, Any of those should do a good job at checking it and preventing it from getting worse but the key thing is you know if, if you got it you need to get that plant out you need to clean up all around it get all that out yeah. and destroyed and uh do we take have, have to take soil out uh or just probably not just wouldn't replant a susceptible box with there and we'll, we'll be, be right back Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you're having trouble picking us up, go to kwamradio.com and you can listen to us that way. If you're having trouble staying awake or you can't listen to the whole show, then you can listen to our podcast, just Mid-South Gardening. Put that in, you'll find it that way. Need more information? Look on our website, our Facebook page that Jim does, and it's fantastic. Mid-South Gardening, and then, uh, and Jerry, hang on two seconds. And if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. All right, Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Getting ready to go to McDonald's to have breakfast. There you go, Jerry. I hear you, buddy. Breakfast of champions, right? That's it. <laughs> uh, I got uh, a pretty good bit of azaleas, not a whole bunch, 12, mm-hmm. 14, something like that. But anyway, uh, I've got... One that's about fifteen years old, almost three foot square, mm. doing beautifully. <coughs> Excuse me, mm. and no problems last year at all. I went out there a week or so ago, and I thought this thing's dead. Uh oh, no leaves. Um, dead. I found no leaves. Hooked my drip irrigation up, and I checked it, and it's getting water. I got looking. It's putting out leaves. Mm-hmm. Then it's not dead. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good so thing. So far, so good. Yeah. Yes. Yep. It, I mean, there's another one kind of the same way. Um, but no leaves. Just like a like cycle where they do things, or no? It's uh, there are a number of azaleas that are technically semi evergreen here. The milder the winter, the more evergreen they are. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite ones is a, one, a purple one called Herbert. 
it'll go totally naked during the wintertime, okay? <clears throat> it's technically evergreen, but it just hap- that one happens to lose all of its leaves here. But then it pops out with a brilliant green new growth and beautiful flowers, and it's fine. So it's, it's really nothing to worry about. It's just um, it varies from cultivar to cultivar. Yeah, nothing to worry about as long as as long as the it's not an azalea that's dead, right. you know. So, well, yeah. have you had that planted long? Is this the first year of it's done that? Yeah, that's about fifteen years at oh, least. There. Yeah, and I wonder. I wonder if some with, uh, branches with no leaves. Mm-hmm. I kind of I bend them to see if they would break. Well, they didn't break. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's that's put, great. Well, you say two two cups of morganite yeah. around it, you know, and you run the roots. Yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe I had some root stimulator. You're reading my mind, that yeah. Super Thrive is fantastic for that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and I agree with what she just said, Jerry. Uh, even though you fed them with milorganite, which is absolutely perfect this time of year, uh, get get some Super Thrive or some root stimulator, mix it with water, and saturate those roots once a week for three or four weeks uh, because stress can also cause defoliation. Mm-hmm. And stress can be from excessive moisture, not enough water, uh, winter stress. I mean, all of that can cause, of course, defoliation. So, but the beauty of it is, if you go out there and give it the old scratch test, scratch those limbs and see if they're green up mm-hmm. under there. If they're still green, they're going to flush back out for you. Um, I'm just wondering. I used to have gutters through that section. Yeah. And I got tired of them and cleaning them out. Right. Pulled them up. Yeah, even a lot of times if you have a whole um, line of azaleas and Every once in a while, just one azalea will end up possibly having too much mulch around it or the soil changes its uh, texture a little. It can just be one out of a line. Yeah, if water does fall through it, though, where you took the gutters off, it Mm -hmm. will take the foliage off of it. Mm, That's true. Yeah, Maybe I'll put it back up. I hate doing it. But. <laughs> no, I would just, honestly, Jerry, I mean, if you've got good drainage out there, I mean, azaleas need good drainage. I mean, they're very shallow-rooted anyway. But if you've got a it's light. A raised, do what? It's a raised bed, Jerry. It's a raised bed. Yeah. Well, that's Pretty good. much a raised bed. Yeah. Yeah. No, you could you, also add, like, uh, add compost to the whole bed. It's always good to replenish. A lot of times our soil starts becoming compact and <clears> no air in between so adding compost can help replenish your soil which will then um, allow your roots to grow bigger yeah but actually I'm, but i agree jerry as long as you've got good green uh, tissue in there they're going to flush back out which is a great thing if you're keeping them moist not wet during the growing season uh, using the milorganite or hollytone or something like that this time of year and using like a good root stimulator, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you should be fine. Yeah. Just keep us posted on that. Let us know how that goes. Because if the dirt that they're in, uh, the ground slopes from the house out and yeah. was it? it slopes two different directions at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I built raised beds and I filled them with that uh, planter's mix. Yes, sir. No. Yeah. I mean, you've done the right thing, Jerry. You've created good drainage. You know, you've got a bed that is not holding water, even though a lot of times you see after it rains, the water's coming off that roof right down into that bed. Um, But there again, if you go out there and scratch those limbs and they're good and green and you're starting to see a little new growth, man, you're going to be fine. Okay. All right. Anyway, I'll have a positive for you. What's that, Jerry? 
I'll have a sausage biscuit for you. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, man. Have a great weekend, Jerry. Thanks, bud. All right, thanks. He's going to have his sausage and, and biscuits for us. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, that's see. what I'm talking about. Now, what about when we have at times where, well, not what about, his situation doesn't sound like this, but where we're having struggling with the plant, we just come out of winter, Yeah, um, it's still flushed out, but then we're going into summer and then it dies. Because that reason a lot of times is it was already dead. It just had the stuff stored, um, the sugars and the all that stored into the plant so it went ahead and flushed itself out and started blooming but then when it needed to take more from the root system there wasn't any yeah we see that in a lot of trees and shrubs mm-hmm. but but it's also you know around here of course typically azaleas are considered evergreen shrubs they keep their leaves you know year round some years we see a lot of defoliation so much more than we do other years and a lot of that's predicated on the weather that they had before this mm-hmm. point, you know, even back in the fall, we saw a lot of yellow leaves on azaleas. And there again, most of that is weather related. Um, so it's not uncommon to have a lot of leaf drop on uh, evergreens, including azaleas. But it's a little to me uncommon to have all the leaves fall off. But like Jim mm-hmm. was saying, there are some varieties that you can see that happen to. Mm-hmm. Formosa does that at, uh, sometimes. Um Herbert, I'm trying to think. A lot of the purples do that for some reason. A lot of the reds do that. You know, if you're if you're looking into the encore azaleas, the pinks, the whites, <clears throat> the purples, they have really bright green foliage they during do. the wintertime. But most of the reds tends to bronze off yeah. and, and drop uh, quite a bit of their foliage. So they're they're not as a, attractive during the wintertime. Uh, they you know leaf out just fine the next spring. But they have that bronzed foliage. So, yeah, you know, some pretty things also with azaleas. I am seeing uh, different color stems. Actually, they're like <clears throat> more brown, or where they are different looking than the foliage. You know, sometimes sometimes we have green stems, green foliage, and the on it's in the encores. And like you were talking about, the orange ones are so beautiful. The orange ones just really pop, and they seem to bloom more, especially in the fall. Well, but also so I love those. Yeah, no doubt. But you know, we're talking about how you know you're going to see some natural shedding on evergreens in general, including azaleas. And I always tell people that, you know, you can have every leaf turn yellow and fall off, except for those leaves at the very end of the limbs where the bud is formed. Mm -hmm. You do want to take a, you know, a peek at the top of the azalea at the end of the limbs. If you still got some good cluster of green leaves right there around that bud formation, you're still fine. And if you want to fertilize, my favorite to use is the holly tone because that can also replenish your soil. Over time, it's not going to change your whole soil structure. If you're having problems, a lot of times you do need to aerate around the plant, add compost, let it work down into the holes that, you know, you you formed when aerating. Uh, The... Espoma and all those fertilizers are a great, uh, or the soil amendments, they're not really a fertilizer, Mm. but the Espoma uh, soil enhancers will always participate in keeping your soil loose and healthy. But if you're using a fertilizer like milorganite, plant tone, holly tone, Mm -hmm. cottonseed meal, blood meal, any of those, you can go ahead and feed the azaleas now. If you're using a synthetic fertilizer, azalea food, like Fertilome azalea food, 
you generally want to wait till after they bloom to use that product. And it's not so much where it hurts the azalea to do it before they bloom. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to use that product and force a lot of foliage to flush out and hide the bloom. <laughs> okay? That, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so if you're yeah. using like a synthetic uh, azalea food, especially on azaleas, typically just feed them after they bloom. Or if you're using organics, you can do it anytime, mm-hmm. including now. So, yeah. I did not ever really think that through about one of the reasons why we don't use synthetics before they bloom yeah it's it, because it flushes the green the growth. yeah and you'll hide the bloom it, it, it doesn't hurt the azalea and i've yeah. talked about that on the radio i don't know how many times and, she and i just totally to missed that. that that was just one of my times where i was staring into space glad somebody else was talking well we did have a texter uh, on the mighty 990 facebook page mr riley newman he said uh, he was wondering uh if any of the listeners have had success with the old wall of water remember that mm-hmm. the wall of water uh, plant protectors for tomato plants, uh, also secrets to raising sweet carrots. And we'll talk about that when we get back. But wall of water mm-hmm. and, uh, guys, any clues or secrets on good old tasting sweet carrots? Gosh, that sounds so good right now. And, um, you know, we can still do a little more vegetable seeds. We can start some inside. And um, Sowed a lot of know, seed this week. When the When the weather's like this, it makes me think i don't want to plant any cabbage any kale because it's too hot we have spring but then next week is perfect growing weather for the cabbages and kale we're getting back down in the 20s again at night yeah so i can't decide what i want to do because well i guess you just do it because memphis weather is so up and down so it's going to be a hit or miss so just do it (laughs) just do it i mean you know you're just using seed so it's not like 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 you're losing a lot of money because you're just throwing your seed out there. Oh, and people do. I mean, cool weather plants. I mean, you know, of course you can do it in the fall. And a lot of times you can do it now in the early spring before it gets hot. Uh, and that's broccoli and kale. And in fact, we got some plants in the other day. Mm-hmm. You know, the strawberries, the broccoli, the yeah. cabbage and all that stuff. So whether you do it by plant or whether you do it by seed, a lot of people still put those cold, cold crops out this time of year. Every time you say the word broccoli, I think of chopping broccoli. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, she's not under medication either, okay? Surely y'all know where that's from. Uh, Surely. Yeah. All righty. We'll stop right now before it gets worse. And we'll talk about (laughs) the wall of water and the, uh, the carrots, no doubt about it. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Kenneth just said Memphis plays tomorrow. But hey, did you see that awesome shot that helped? Probably, if it was from the Tigers. Because it went way, he threw it way across the court. Oh, that was the Grizzlies. That was the Grizzlies. Yeah. Wrong. Well, that was a Memphis team, though. That's what I'm saying. You're there, It's a Memphis team. But anyway, where whatever it is, that go was, Memphis. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> It'd be a good game tomorrow. I can't wait. What were Houston. we coming back to talk about? Uh, Mr. O'Reilly Newman, he mm-hmm. had uh, sent in a text about the wall of water. So, you know, like we were talking about in the first 10 minutes of the show, the frost date around here is April 15th. And we were saying how you always have to be really careful planting anything tender in the ground before April 15th. Mm-hmm. 
Well, there's always ways to circumvent that, right? Right. And if you're doing tomatoes, like uh, a lot of people like to get their tomatoes out there as soon as they possibly can, even if it is before the 15th of April. And potentially one way you can get by with that is to plant the tomatoes, whether you start them from seed or whether you get plants, it doesn't matter, uh, in the ground, in your tomato rows, wherever you put them. And then get these things called wall of waters. And they're like a, a it's like a plastic uh, ring mm-hmm. that you put around the tomato. And it's about a foot yep, high? Yeah, about a foot yeah. high. And then you add water to this mm-hmm. thing. And when the sun comes out, it warms that water, right? Yeah. And at night, you still have that warmish water around these tomatoes. So you're creating a micro environment. Right. Okay. So you can get by mm-hmm. with putting these things in the ground before you really should if you do have something like a wall of water around those tomatoes. And, and Riley wanted to know if he really thought they worked. They do work, mm-hmm. okay? I've seen them work many times. So I had looked at it in terms of how I would use it would be, especially when it was going to get really cold at night, well, the water would freeze, and then if I'd put something over the top, then it would be a, a mini greenhouse. A mini so, ice house. Yeah, a mini house. <laughs> but I almost said that wrong. I know. <laughs> I saw you look at me. But wouldn't it, like if we're going to get down to 27, and then you have that wall of water freezing around it, and then if I have like a cover on top, wouldn't that keep it from getting below freezing? Uh, no, not necessarily. It would depend mm. on your soil temperature primarily because that's where you're getting your radiated that's, heat from yeah. would be the ground. Oh, um, gotcha. You know, the idea of wall of water primarily is to keep frost off of it, which mm-hmm. is that it will do. Um, but if your soil temperature is still very cold, you know, you shouldn't have planted it yet anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're trying to save something that's mm-hmm. already struggling. Yeah. You know, so. Us gardeners, we've got to try. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that challenge, but I only like that challenge one time. Yeah. The <laughs> first less, failure is right. not like right. the rest of us. Take yeah. three or four times right. to learn. Right. Yes. Yes. But yeah, well, actually, um, it's all a strategy. I get into the strategy of it, checking the soil temperature, you know, seeing how what what I can do to make this more efficiently. Well, and now and, and that's we're not, a lot of work to grow a tomato, isn't it? Yeah, and we're not saying go out there and plant a tomato in, in the ground now. I mean, mm-hmm. but people that do get them in there, you know, but just a little before they should, uh, the wall of waters absolutely will protect that tomato. And like Jim said, if you're planting them out there way before you should anyway, the soil mm-hmm. temperatures are too cold regardless. You know, it's, I don't yeah. care what you do, but, uh, really, but they do help. You know, I know I've said this a thousand times, but you don't gain anything putting any vegetables into ground that's too cold. Uh, and it needs mm-hmm. to be uh, warm, <laughs> and it also needs to be workable. Yeah. You know, if it's too muddy, you can't break it up into the, the right size particles and get it settled back in there when you water it. So you get actually cold air moving down yeah. into that. So, so y'all just don't plant your tomatoes yet. That's the best thing, you know. Yeah. But like I say, garden centers absolutely do not mind selling you two mm-hmm. or three times. <laughs> so go ahead and plant them. We'll sell you another one. And also, what about any secrets to raising um, sweet carrots, guys? I've never done carrots in my life. Right. Um, you know, we've sold a ton of carrot seeds over, mm-hmm. you know, the years. But any secrets with... Well, uh, we've done, tried a few at we were doing a vegetable bed vegetable yard and we did some in raised garden and it had a little too much 
gravel in it for carrots because when they're a root crop and the carrots, if they hit a rock, they just won't continue. They, de- they deform, deform around it, yeah. Which was, or not a rock, but even little granules of um, rock. whatever, yeah. Yeah. Or gravel, yeah. So that was, that's only thing that I'd had problems with was that. Well, you know, our heavy clay soil doesn't lend itself to growing long carrots. Mm-hmm. You really should stick to the to the ones that are shorter, like Danvers Half Long, which is an old variety. But it there is. are a number of new ones now. Uh, but if you'll try to focus on ones that are six inches or so, you'll have much better luck And not these long 12-inch type mm-hmm. carrots yeah. that you see yeah. in, in the grocery store. But, yeah. you know, I wondered, because well, I didn't try this yet, I didn't have enough time to work on the yard the next year. But if you know how they make those big... Uh, troughs that are on legs yeah. make it easier to garden and then it's filled with like two feet of soil yeah. and if you fill it with the right soil it seems like your carrots could grow long then well yeah i agree with yeah. but but like jim was saying in in our typical you know right. garden plot with all the clay that we have uh but for carrots i guess for any underground crop potatoes carrots on down the line you want a good uh, loose uh you know organically rich soil or a raised bed or like you're saying they have some kind of container yeah you know where you have your garden soil in there so it's easy for it to grow to penetrate that soil mm-hmm. but i guess you know in taking away from all that if you're going to go grow carrots it, it actually all starts with the soil a good loose pliable high organic mattered soil is what you need you know when we're, we sell a lot of vegetable seeds and flower seeds and it's so cute and to see the younger crowd coming in the kids wanting, love the carrots yeah but they're I'll, sometimes they really wanted some detail and i'll open the package and show that and they're going you mean that little seed right there is going to grow and give me something to eat <laughs> and it's hard for them to fathom because they're not used to what starting anything from seed. And they're loving it because it's like you're cultivating it from the very beginning. Yeah, it's and almost I'm like going, the purest out yeah, there, you know. And I'm thinking, man, I'm just waiting till the plants come in. Uh, and that's me. Yeah. You know, I'm in, I'm in the line when the plants come in. But it is more. I'm in uh, line, too, but it's at the checkout at Kroger. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> you know, kidding. I can't raise. You know, I don't have the conditions to raise good vegetables. Oh, Jim's you at the. You do have to prep as well. You yeah. just don't till Jim's and stick buying in the, the produce. He's not trying to grow anything. Yeah, uh, no, I'm smart. I'm saving money. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Garden. Glad to have you here with us. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden in Memphis, Tennessee. Yes, and I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm retired. <laughs> I, I'm I Jim tell- Crowder. <laughs> yes. I'm a retired nurseryman. He just rubs any it of in. you that don't know. We me. had um, somebody come into the garden center, and I was telling them about our show, 
And so I, it kind of works out because I'm used to saying it. It's me, Veda, Kenneth Maber from Dam West, yeah. and Jim. And you never know and what's coming I go, out of his right, mouth. Right. I go, Jim, the oracle of gardening. <laughs> no, wait. He's the couch potato. And I go, no, 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 no. He's, he's the, the recliner liner. There and that go. just, the guy just laughed and laughed. He goes, I like recliner liner. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. So anyway. Yeah, so but I when, can't have the carbs, so I can't be a potato. Oh, there you potato. go. That's right. Yeah. He can't have the carbs. But, I mean, you're not doing nothing. You're studying. You're keeping our Facebook I, I page up, too. I read too. constantly now, yeah. which I haven't been able to do for years. You never had time to do Did you yeah. fall asleep reading? That's what I do. I do a mm-hmm. lot. Yeah. That's the best But I'm also, I have other interests other than just gardening. So I, uh, <laughs> I'm really into uh, the James Webb telescope and what's going to happen when it goes online here shortly. Yeah, that's so. going to be pretty cool. I mean, they say it's supposed to be so much more advanced than the Hubble, and the Hubble has done things that we've never dreamed yeah. of. So right. it is going to be pretty cool, Jim. Uh, yep. uh, but I'm if listening to the sons of Zora. Of what? <laughs> Zora. It's a, plant, a planet. It's all space show. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I have never listened to science fiction um, so this is kind of like yeah. a, a book on yeah, I'm yeah. audible listening yeah. to it on the way to work, and just all of a sudden one day I was like, I have to. After all these years, I've got to listen to something just different yeah. and strange. There you go. And so then all of a sudden I'm hooked on this book, but I'm ready to be finished with it because I have to know the end, and then I got to go back to reading about See, Jim, gardening. That explains a lot right there. It but. does. That must be. <laughs> It what does. my issues are. I thought it was are. Klingon she was speaking uh, a little Zorro. while ago, yeah. but it's but Zorro, they apparently. They didn't talk anything about gardening, though. <laughs> I don't a, know how. And they're not Why? going to, Veda. Okay. Uh, well, I've been waiting for that chapter. But, guys, if you want to uh, chime in this morning, uh, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like uh, Jan Childers did. I'm fixing to tell you what mm-hmm. she said. And then, uh, of course, kwamradio.com. Uh, you can listen live there. And like you said, Veda, a while ago, if you kind of doze off during the show, which I can't imagine anybody doing unless I'm talking, you can go back and listen to the podcast. So And all lot. during the week, if you have a question, just post it on our Facebook group. Yep. And we're there. Yep. Well, at least I'm there. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of different ways to... But Jan, you know, to me, gardening is also a lot of reminiscing. Okay? Yeah, it just it is, is. You know. And uh, one of the things that Jan texted in, she said, ah, oh, childhood memories. You know what I'm saying? And think about yes. that. Um, you know, growing a lima bean in a Dixie cup. And we all freaking did that. Uh, a lima bean uh, or peanut in a strand of thick wool and carrots and radishes in the garden and pulling them up before they were truly ready because we saw the tops poking through the mm-hmm. surface of the soil. Just can't wait. You tell me that's not the truth, though. That is so and true. And then remember the old potato, you'd stick the toothpicks mm-hmm. in oh, and yeah. set it down in the Dixie cup with the water up in there, and it just grew this ton of foliage. You right. know, it was just the neatest thing in the world. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. I remember when my grandparents do in the garden, and every year I would ask what they're going to plant, and every year they would <laughs> say butter beans, and every year I would go, ugh. See, and I used to enjoy hunting in the garden. I'd pop the window open and shoot my mother's pink flamingos out the back window <laughs> with a BB rifle. <laughs> memories, memories. Those are my fun memories. Oh, those are the memories, I'm telling Your you. fun memories. But also, well. guys, real quick, a, an announcement, and a lot of people already know this, but uh, the 2022 Daffodil Show is here this year. You know, for the last year or two, they didn't have the Daffodil Show at the Dixon because of, of course, COVID. 
Uh, but it's up and running this year. 2022 Daffodil Show, of course, is at the Dixon Gallery and Gardens. And this is, uh, mark it on your calendar, Saturday, March the 19th from 2 to 5, and Sunday, March the 20th from 1 to 4. Uh, and, of course, you can... Uh, you know, go to the Dixon Gallery and Garden webpage if you want to know a lot more about this event. But it is a great event. And I know June Davidson mm-hmm. uh, and Punk, his wife, they've, um, and other people, of course, but I know June's the one that I know. I know he's been instrumental in uh, keeping this thing going. And uh, I tell you what, you know, we all have, you know, we all love the blooms of camellias and roses and azaleas and. There are so many daffodils out there and so many daffodil blooms that you probably have never seen, kind of like orchids. You know, yeah. there are some orchid blooms that I had never right. seen in my life until last year. I didn't know orchids even bloomed like this. But daffodils are the same way. So it's going to be a, a, a good thing, y'all. And that's uh, Saturday, March the 19th, and Sunday, March the 20th. Yeah, because there are... Go ahead. No, if oh, you're not doing anything today, mm-hmm. uh, it happens to be the open house at Brussels Bonsai Nursery, mm, uh, nice. Sedental Center Hill Road. I think it opens about 9 o'clock Hold or on. so, maybe 8. When you say open house, though, Jim, they've been there forever. Oh, they've been there, yes, but they're having their open house today where they have discounts on stuff and just okay. inviting everybody to come in. You know, he has a very yeah. controlled greenhouse, so there's some areas that you can't get into because... Uh, he is the largest importer of bonsai in the country, and he brings them in, and a lot of them have to stay in quarantine for two years wow. before they can be released. So uh, he has a state-of-the-art quarantine facility, and uh, but he is just a great guy. I've known him since he was, you know, just planting stuff in little tiny pots and, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, now, is this... Um who are we talking about? What's the gentleman's name? Brussel Martin. All right, but so Brussel is still involved. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, good. And yeah. then I know that um, the McDonald. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, son, I mean, a young man is involved. So good. All yeah, right, good. yeah. They you, you were able to uh, to expand the business, and uh, and he's done he's done very well. I mean, he's, he'll send out, um, you know, on some holidays, five, 10,000 plants. Uh, that are going out, you know, for And they do it gifts. worldwide, don't oh, they? Oh, yes. And yeah, you they. just said the word, I don't know how you said it, but when I go down there and say, hey, do y'all have any bones eyes? Are they going to slap me in the face for well, saying it like that? Technically, oh, it's bonsai. No, see, but I can't do You can't, neither syllable is accented, but no, very few people can do that. Okay, well, good. So, so I can say bones eye, and they you, will understand what I'm ta- asking about. Yeah, they'll just note you country yeah. boy from down south. Or, yeah. or bonsai, Either but bonsai, I just can't. Yeah. Bonsai. Yeah. Because some people look Bless at me, you, you know, <laughs> people will look at you funny if you say the word the wrong way. Because I'm, mean, you know, I've said this story before. Uh, Means I used planting. to say clematis, okay, clematis. Yeah. You know, a nice blooming vining clematis. That's what I've always said. This one lady almost just grabbed me in a chokehold and said, "It's clematis," yes. and I'm like, "Okay, never same, again." Yeah, same with peony and peony. Jim, you just said bonsai, bonsai. bonsai. Did I do it? Bonsai. Yeah. Uh, it means. It. Uh, tray planting. Thank you. Tray planting. And, and I know we got Ron on line one, but the thing with me with, with bonsais is, and I love them. I mean, they are truly a unique thing to me, the way they root prune them. And you can have a orchard of trees in a shallow dish that have been there for 100 years. Mm-hmm. But see, that's my thing, though. I am for so... For real. He's not kidding. Yeah, really. 100 years. But I'm so... Or more. Yeah. I'm so impatient. You know, mm-hmm. I want it done and see it yesterday. Yeah. You know? So it just... It, Maybe that's why they they intrigue me to no end, mm-hmm. but maybe that's why I just don't have the patience to yeah. do it. You know, 
And then <coughs> the other thing is kind of scary, too, is when, I don't know, is it every one year or two years you need to take it out of the tray, uh, oh, shear the It depends the roots. on the plant, but about every two to three years. And yeah. there's some that are for outdoor, and there's mm-hmm. some that are indoor, and there's yes. some that are really easy to do. Yeah. I mean, don't let a, a bonsai scare you because they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, if you had a $20,000 bonsai that was 1,000 years yeah. old, then, yeah, that would scare me to death. And hopefully, if you get one like that, you've got a little more experience in it so you don't just lose, you know, $10,000. Yeah, I saw that was at Bonsai. I mean, at Brussels? This is at Brussels, okay. yeah. There's a picture on our Facebook group. A lady had mm-hmm. put a question, but she put a picture of a huge bonsai yes. uh, in front. It's bigger than her dog. Uh, Lots on bigger here than... to just to grab people's attention so they'd read the question. So uh, it's on our Facebook group. Yeah, so no anyway, oh, but... so wait, how big? To me, in that picture, it looks like it's uh, four feet tall. Yeah, three, three. five and, feet tall. You know, and, and the trunk's about as big around as my waist. Yeah. So that is one so that big probably, you know, a hundred years <laughs> old, if not more. So yeah, and they have like when you go to Brussels, they have um, huge bonsais. It's been growing for. Hundreds of years. Yeah. Really. Yeah. yeah you, they just you know, pass you can, them you down. You can go in there and spend, uh, you know, 50 bucks if you want, or you can mm-hmm. go in there and spend uh, $35,000. Right. Yeah. That's right. And so. that's the beauty of it. And, and everywhere in between. So there's some yeah. for everyone. I think they're going to, they're becoming more popular too, bonsais, because every, a lot of us, especially apartment dwellers, yeah. you know, that are high school, I mean, college kids, yeah. they're wanting to garden. And so they're going to garden inside and then they're wanting different, you know, they don't want their mother's spider plant. Exactly. You know, where everybody but there's had, nothing wrong with that either. I know. I love it. But they're looking for all kinds of uniqueness and bonsais because you can play with those indoors well, but yeah. you got to get the right ones yeah indoors. so many that you see like in i've been in some of the box stores and they'll have a mm-hmm. display out there they're junipers and those yeah. have to go through winters outside yeah. Yeah. they have to be just healed into a flower yeah. bed somewhere and left there and and you know just occasionally check them but they got to go through cold periods or mm-hmm. they'll just fade out and die on right. you and i know we've got ron ron you got to hang on one second buddy i promise you you'll be next i know we got to go to a break but really quick we had a bonsai when me and gina first got married somebody gave us one uh-huh. and of course we killed it i think immediately it was like this little grove of trees elm trees or whatever but it had the rock in there and the moss and all that stuff so honestly i promise you y'all when it dried up the leaves stayed on there mm-hmm. so we just spray painted <laughs> the leaves green okay and left it up there. It looked beautiful. Didn't have to water. Didn't have to do a dang thing to mm-hmm. it, Jim. So there's ways to circumvent, <laughs> you know, bones eyes when they start dying back. I can't believe you admitted that on the radio. I Green know. I was spray paint. Say, you've been a gardener all your your life. Oh, but I I was, I was a novice when it came to these things. And I'm you telling knew, you. yeah. So you already knew. I'm gonna You're check just... those bally shrubs he's got. They may not oh, be real. No, they're all. You know, I <laughs> yeah. I do not like painted. anything artificial. Anything fake, but. <laughs> this thing looked great, I'm telling you. You know, I, I can go with that. What about um, all the things that don't die down in the wintertime and then you see people spray painting them blue and mm. yellow and red or things that are not Yeah, ornamental going... grasses are co- kind of cool to do that Mm-mm. with. It reminds me yeah. of uh, painted uh, poinsettias. No, right. can't happen. No. It makes a whimsical yard. Unless they glitter. <laughs> Wow. We have to take a break, though, don't we? Yes, yes. Let's go to a break. And, you know, give us a call, 260-5926, or you can post it on our uh, Facebook Live, which is the Mighty... What is it? Mighty 990 Facebook page. Yeah. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 260-5926. 
or post your questions on our Facebook Live page. And let's go to Ron. Good morning, Ron. Thanks for the call this morning. Yes, uh, I've got uh, three quick questions. Yeah. Uh, the first is, what's the ratio of lawn food should you use? And is it this is it time of the year go ahead and put it on the yard? It, well, it depends, Ron, on what type of grass we're talking about. Do you have Bermuda or Zoysia? Maybe Zoysia. Yeah. No, I mean, if you're using a synthetic lawn food... And most of your synthetic lawn foods are going to have a good bit of nitrogen, that first number, like a 1608 or a 2804, something like that. Um, typically, you will wait till the Bermuda or the Zoysia, in your case, starts to green up. In other words, if you go out there and do it today, you're not hurting anything, but you're going to lose some of that nitrogen before you can actually use it. So... Uh, those those lawn foods are great. They're long-lasting. They're non-burning. Uh, but you do want to wait until it actually starts to green up before you put your first application down. And I like that one that's 2804 or 2808. Yeah, 711 is kind of the target. Yeah. doesn't have to be exact, but something close to that. That about, ratio. About seven times as much nitrogen as phosphorus and potash. And most of the companies now don't put any phosphorus in them at all. Right. And if, if you want to replenish your soil and have it ready later when it is starting to warm up, use you can fertilize now with organic fertilizer. Like the Espoma lawn food. Right, right. But so it's not going to release quickly like the nitrogen. And the uh, organic fertilizers don't have high numbers like mm-hmm. um, 1600. Well, you'll see like a 611, you know, something like that. Yes. Yeah. And, it's, and it's replenishing the soil and this, because that's your most healthy part that you need. And then the plant absorbs the nutrients out of the soil. So you can do that with your synthetic. Or I've gotten along with having a great, great, nice green yard only using natural stuff. So, bottom line is organics now, synthetics a little bit When they bit really start, start to green up, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and what about uh, fertilizers for uh, shrubs or hydrangeas or uh, azaleas, something like that? Yeah, so basically anything that's synthetic, we need to wait a little longer because it's all um, based more on the soil temperature and the weather. And you don't want to lose the nitrogen. Uh, so using natural will work great now. And uh, I wouldn't put any synthetic fertilizer out yet. Well, I mean, there, there's, there's like a 14.77, a 12.66, even a tree and shrub food. Most of those nitrogens that are in there are coated, so they're going to be more slow release. But I'm with you, though, still. Uh, if you're using organics, go ahead and do it today if you want. Yeah. If you, they're still not going to work for probably another 30 days. They're going to have to wait till those mm-hmm. soil temperatures get right. warm up. Exactly. Right. Uh, so. And if you're using like a just a grower special, like a 1266, mm-hmm. which is a really good product, it's a, it's a three-month feed. You could put it on all your trees and shrubs. It's not going to burn anything. Yeah, there's a four... Hydrangeas, if you're wanting them to be pink, there is, you could put lime around it mm-hmm. or plant tone, or, uh, which is natural, or use holly tone if, you want, if you want them to be blue. But usually you have to supplement a little more with maybe the, lo- the lime or the sulfur. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, fertilize 
with synthetics after. That's why I like all the natural products is it's not a timing thing. You just put it out there and let the plant take it when it needs it. Yeah, where the, you know, like the 1266, which I do like about it, though, Miss Veda, it is, you know, a slow release. It's going to feed it over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the only fertilizer, I mean, but that's just one that a lot of people use is like that 1266 or something organic, Mr. Ron. Okay. <clears throat> if you have time, just one more question. Sure, of course. Uh, I have some a couple of holly, I call them holly trees. They're the large leaf holly. Yes, sir. Uh, with the large red berries. Yes, sir. Them. Yes, sir. I've got one that grows, these are 18 years old. They're taller. One's way taller than the other. And they're in the front property, so they're in the direct sun. Can you shape the taller one to where it's getting more in line with the other one? Because it's like three or four foot taller and bigger around. <laughs> you sure can. That's one of the can beauties. Yeah, that's one of the beauties of hollies. Is I mean, they don't mind uh, pruning. They can take a, a, a good bit of pruning. In fact, they can take you almost butchering the things. Uh, but whether you go in there and cut the holly just across, flat across the top, or whether you try to round it uh, at the top, you know, kind of like the other holly, uh, no, sir, not a problem whatsoever. They'll be fine, and they'll both flush back out this spring. But, yes, oh, you, you okay. can go out there and top that holly also, Ron. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for the information. Appreciate the call, buddy. Thank Appreciate you. you checking in. And go, you want to take the question off Facebook page? Did you get a question there? Yeah, and John, hang on just a second. Uh, we had a, a texter, uh, Bob, on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. He said, uh, when and how to prune a Chinese chestnut? Tree is in a small front yard facing west. Okay, well, it bears, you know, in, in if it's bearing size, it bears in September, October or so. But it, so you're going to, you'll pruning it now, you likely will sacrifice a few fruit. Got it. Uh, you could prune it immediately when it goes dormant in the fall. Uh, but I think, you know, if it's just too big, then I would do it now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Jim... Chinese chestnut. I mean, it's going to drop those chestnuts also. I mean, yes. Yeah. That you know the the standard Chinese chestnut's a big tree. Yeah. Big tree. Yeah. Uh, but there are dwarf ones, and I don't know what he's got. But, okay. Um, but as far as pruning, definitely you can I get do, by with yeah. doing it this time I of year before they flush now. out in the spring. Yeah. I got you. Okay. That all sounds good. Okay, Ed. We actually have time to go to John before the break. Good morning, John. You Hello? there? Hey, John, good morning to you. Yes. Hey, how you doing, Karen? We're doing great, brother. What's going uh, I, on? Well, I had two crepe myrtles cut down, and I had a stump grinder come yesterday. Yeah. And so now I've got a lot of fine wood chip mulch, and um, do you throw it away? Can I put it in low spots of my garden, uh, away from my house? Yeah. I'm afraid of termites, you know. So yeah. um, what, what suggestions would you have? Well, it's like any raw wood material, John. Uh, you don't want to use raw wood as a mulch, okay? Uh, okay? Ideally, take that raw wood material and pile it up somewhere in the corner and let it break down for six to eight months. And then you can put it wherever you want as a top dressing or even as a soil amendment. Now, if you have a walkway, okay. you know, with stones and you want to just put some stuff in between it, that's fine. But you really don't want to use it as a mulch or even as a soil amendment uh, until it gets broken down. And that's really going to be true with any kind of raw wood material, John. 
including the wood from a crepe myrtle. Okay. Well, I do have uh, in the back courtyard a lot of um, Arkansas field stone. Yeah. And some, some of that area has could use some fill-in. Yeah, so, and that's perfect that's if you're using it for those type purposes. Uh, but you just don't want to use it yeah. as a soil amendment or as a mulch until it has broken down for at least six to eight months. Great, great. Thanks for the suggestion. Thanks, right, John. Thank you for the call, John. So we're going to run to a break, but you can call us 260-5926 or post questions on our Facebook Live page, and we'll love to answer them for you. And we'll be right back. After... <laughs> it's the glare yeah. i'm thinking no that's claire oh claire not the glare and i know we've got about 20 more seconds but How do you know that? Uh, a lot of people do that because i know it goes to like 49 when we gotta get off when you here. hear the music that's then when you we're do it. But sometimes no music plays <laughs> all right y'all it's all my bad not our producers that's for sure we'll be right back there you go Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I like the guitar, so I'm saying it in between the guitar. She's going real slow, too. Yeah. So, and she's over there dancing on, yeah. you know, you are on the air, okay? Oops. And you're on film, too. I mean, you're Oops. being filmed, filmed right now. Like right now. And everybody, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page, and there's Miss Vader right there. And uh, shoot me a secret text and let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> secret text. Oh, I don't want to know. Just don't read those to me. And I know we got Tom, but if you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. And, of course, the Mighty 990 Facebook page and kwamradio.com. And that's where, Jim, you can listen live and go and listen to a podcast later on if you Absolutely. want. Absolutely. Yep. And our, you said a Facebook page. Yes. And let's go to Tom. Good morning, Tom. You're in the Mid-South Garden. Thanks for the call. How are you today? Hey, Tom. Doing great, buddy. I bought this house a year ago, and yeah. I'm told I got this huge bushes, like 150 feet of them, and yeah. I'm told they're used, like trimming my property. Yeah. But they're way, way overgrown. Doesn't look anybody's <clears throat> trimmed them in the last 10 years. <clears throat> what I want to know is when can I cut them back, and two, how far can I cut them back without killing it? Well, first thing, I don't think they're used. I really be, even though I tall. love, I yeah. wish they were used. Unless but I love it's a podocarpus you, but well, even which there, isn't a you. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a shade plant. You know, I think probably you've got something else. Um, if it is a needledy type evergreen, okay, it is. Most of them will not break on wood that's over two years old, so you can't cut them back hard. They just won't recover. They won't resprout. So the oh, best okay. thing to do really for you is first, let's get a positive ID. There are a few junipers like Hollywood that can take some pretty hard pruning and still re-sprout. If it is a juniper and not if a it is, yeah. yeah. But take a sample by your local garden center and get an absolute positive ID or take a picture of it and put it on our Facebook group. Uh, and I'll check it okay. and see. Um, but I, I'm afraid that they may be beyond the point where you can trim them back. You may either have to live with them or remove them. 
Yeah, and, but Jim, what would happen if they were used, which I love them, and he did go in there and, and, and cut them back? Uh, he just wouldn't get any new growth, well, regrowth off of that. On actually, he would. Okay. okay yeah. It's just we seldom see ewes planted here in, in the mass, uh, in mass like quantities that. like yeah. that. I mean, it's just almost never done. Well, I guess I ought to tell you guys something. I'm from, I live in Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. That makes a difference. Right. <laughs> so it could be used. It could be used. Yeah. So, it but whatever, is. you can definitely prune those back yeah, and they'll yeah. flood. will do that. Now, a lot of times what you, it's best to take them back in, in sections. Uh, if you've got in, say, any given you, you've got three or four main canes, right. cut one or two down. Right. Leave some of that green growth on there as they re-sprout, then go back and cut them down further. But, yeah, you can, if they're true to use, which sounds like they may be then up there, uh, you can cut them back really hard and they'll, they'll recover. Hey, like I'm talking like two feet on each side and maybe two feet off the top. Yeah, yeah. And, and Tom, just the general rule of thumb is, you know, you typically don't want to cut back more than one-third at one time. And that's height okay. uh, and, and width. Um, so, no, you're fine. You can go in there and cut them back as far as the width. You can go in there and cut them back as far as the height. As long as you're not really doing more than one-third, and you'll be absolutely and, fine. And the sides, you want to make sure that you cut them wider at the base than at the top yep. so that sunlight gets all the way down. If you cut them straight down, the top's going to shade out the bottom, and it's going to thin on you. So you, you okay. want want it to be sort of pyramid shape. That's right. A little water at the bottom. It doesn't, doesn't take much, but you just want to be able to get sunlight to it. Yeah. Gotcha. I appreciate the help, guys. Thank hey, you. Thanks, thanks for listening from yes, Pennsylvania. Exactly. Thanks, Tom. Thanks appreciate the, the call, call, buddy. And we had a um, I had a yard that she had the podocarpus used planted in the zero lot line. And I hadn't seen fence. those in so long. Yeah. You don't see a lot of Yeah. Yeah. We had, there was a fence there, and then it was about 10 feet to a wall. So it had a really good warming situation, a very small area. But every year I would just go in and take the longest limbs that grew yeah. out mm-hmm. yeah. and just take those off. But they were really forgiving if you cut the end because they would just shoot out at the end and uh, fill in nicely where you really don't notice that it was cut. Mm-hmm. So, um, But we had to start early on that because if we started later, then I would have had to cut so much out that you would have noticed. Yeah, Veda used to do that custom pruning, I'm telling you. Well, you know, you. I learned um, to prune from someone that worked for Brussels Bonsai. There you go. Bonsai. And, um, <laughs> you're learning. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't learn all those techniques. I didn't want to go into that, but I learned to, to prune and that gave me a whole different talent, I guess, on shaping things to look better and knowing when to prune. Yeah. And why, and, and I know we got Jamie, but Jim, you know, I love the look of yews, whether they're the low growing like plum yews or the, the Hicks yews or, you know, the upright yews. Mm-hmm. Why don't we see more of those know, in, in a line, you know, as, and not as, as a, a mass planting like maybe Tom was talking about, but, I mean, I know they got to have good drainage. Mm-hmm. That's, really, that's the main thing is our soil is not conducive to yeah. them growing well over long term. Yeah. They'll tend to yellow out. Yeah. Um, if um, In the heat, maybe And, and they extent. like, they, they really prefer to be in full sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we often put them in a little less sunlight here, which makes Protect them, them a little thin bit. out on the inside. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they're great plants. In fact, I know of a, a little hedge that's in front of a restaurant mm-hmm. that's just spectacular. I mean, right. it is so pretty. 
the, I the, see it's, that. It's sheared, yeah. you know, it's three feet tall, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and I see a lot of people growing these ewes in containers also, you know, where they're very they, cold hardy. Yeah, yeah, you know, instead of, a, you know, a holly or a boxwood or whatever on either side of the door. You know, nice texture, really uh, I do know, like great it. evergreen plant. But that was funny how Tom said, well, I'm up here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I like the um, plum ewe and mm-hmm. the Harrington ewe. They do uh, very well, and they're low, and we use them in a lot of shade, mm-hmm. yeah. but and, and you have a tough, to keep them Yeah, use draining. a tough term, too, because when we talk about use, a lot of these aren't. You know, mm-hmm. when we talk about the plum use, the cephalotaxis, they're not true use, mm-hmm. whereas the true use are taxes. Yeah. And then podocarpus, which looks so yeah, much like a U, yeah. is not a U, it's yeah. a podocarpus. And we call it a U. Right. Yeah, we, call right. It. we call it a Japanese U. Yeah. Uh, but it, it likes shady locations. And this is really about as far north as we see them. You don't mm-hmm. get much right. from the north. Then the winter will kill them. And when I plant them, I make sure they're in a protected area. The beautiful would, little sprawler one called Maki, M-A-K-I, oh, that just that. it gets wide and makes. Hold a on, now you're saying scrub. you don't see a lot of ewes any more north than us? No, po- that Potocarpus. Potocarpus. Oh, Okay, yeah, yeah I was thinking, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, yeah, and and you know, and that reminds me of uh, the what, what, uh, the wax myrtle. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, and, and, you yeah. know and we don't see a lot of those anymore mm-hmm. either, it seems like. Ice storms just right. wipe hey, them out. But read, I planted mind, the Dawn's, Dawn's Dwarf Wax Myrtle, and it is beautiful. It's still dwarf. It's only yeah. been planted for two years. But the snow and all that didn't change it one little bit. Oh, that's so great. maybe that's something. But it's not going to be the big, beautiful eight-foot. Yeah, eight to ten-foot yeah. wax model. But it's still something, <clears throat> yeah. you know. Nice different foliage leaves. But it's like, as Mr. Paul would always say, we're still trying to grow stuff around here yeah. that really we have no business doing. Oh, yeah. And we're not going to stop doing it, okay? Right, right. Yeah, like the Hicks use, isn't that a... Um, it's a, more of an upright. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one to prune got into a head. Stanton eye, you've got Hicks eye, you've got um, brownie eye. What's um, the... Madagatsia and those types. Madagatsia? You mean Madagatsia palm? <laughs> Madagascar palm? Um, Densiformis. Which yeah. one is the... Yeah. yeah. That's a nice one, quick... Quick growing fills out really well. Don't have to prune. Don't have to prune a lot. Yeah, and, put and, it on the the sun side of sun side of your shade garden. Yeah, and, and I'm like Jim. If you just you know keep them out of the hottest part of the afternoon, mm-hmm. and they do need good drainage. That's the biggest thing. But of course, what doesn't need good yeah, drainage around right. here? And use their evergreen. Yeah, yeah, pretty foliage too. Um, and I know that we got Jamie, but we probably can't go to him right break, now. But Jim, yeah. also, you were in the studio the other day. Talking about some of the beautiful deciduous we're going magnolias. To talk to you, yeah, and we go into uh, hour number three. We're going to talk about the oriental magnolias, the deciduous magnolias that are just as much a magnolia as the southern magnolia. Yeah, but it just, it's, I know. Except here we call them <laughs> tulip trees. Tulip trees. But tulip I tell trees. you, I, I was driving down, and I got to say this, I was driving down the street the other day, and there were like four or five of them in a row. And these were the, I guess, the magnolia slangiana, the, mm-hmm. the mauve and the mm-hmm. light pink. In full bloom, and I'm telling you, they were absolutely beautiful. 
And I'm thinking, you know, I probably need one or two deciduous magnolias in my mm-hmm. landscape somewhere. Right. They don't shear well, though. I mean, uh-huh. oh, <laughs> <laughs> I just love to do it. Cannot shear a magnolia. I can't make it into like a big beach ball. Probably right. not. Use the star magnolia. It will do it. Oh, there you go, Jim. <laughs> nice. Hey, I'm on cloud nine. Do you know where that saying came from? Probably from a dogwood that's called cloud nine. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, in the 1800s, they judged um, clouds like the lowest cloud was a one and the highest cloud was a nine. Hmm. So if you're on cloud <laughs> nine, you're up on the highest cloud. See, I've, and, and that's what I love about beta. I've said, used these terms, heard these terms my whole life and never really understood or never thought about where did it come from, you know? Because, I, I mean, who knew that they rated clouds one to nine? And I know we got to go to a break, but I also had some more text on the Mighty 990 Facebook page uh, from Pat. We'll get into, she wants to know if uh, coyote decoys scare the deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Mary, is it too late to move perennials? So we'll talk about those and other things, of mm-hmm. course, when we come back. And if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have y'all here this morning. And let's go to one of our dear friends, Jamie, the Master Gardener. We'll be right back. I mean... (laughs) Jamie, Jamie, right? Yes. Hey, buddy. Good morning to you. Good morning. Let's try again. (laughs) It's good to hear y'all old nursery people talking about getting excited about plants coming. Yeah. I mean, I thought, you know, that would just reserve for us folks that, you know, who didn't have to mess with them all year long. Oh, no, no, no. Y'all no. excited about the plants are coming. Well, and it's kind of like we say this every year, this time of year, Jamie, after we go through a wet, cloudy, dreadful, cold, cool <laughs> kind of weather winter, right? If right. I get the point there, right, we can't wait for the sun to come out and people just to get outside. I mean, people are chomping at the bit right now to do it. And these last three or four days that we've had this weather, mm-hmm. I mean, and like I said, people have been coming into the garden center, Jamie, looking for tomato plants. Now, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you know, I talk about tomato plants for sure. But anyway, it, it just does an old heart good. Like I said, you know, y'all to deal with this uh, year-round or whatever, but uh, we get excited, you know, when the sun comes out and the, the daffodil finally comes yeah. out of the ground and makes a little bloom and... You know, that lets us know there's God in heaven and, you know, there's hope that springs eternal. Isn't that the dang so. truth? I'm so with you. Because that, to me, that's what we're around here for. You know, spring, yeah. I mean, and, and, and like I said also, I was telling Veda, this perfect weather that we've had, you know, we don't get this every day. You know, in the summertime, no. and we've had a decent summer last year. It was, you know, 140 degrees and humid. Mm-hmm. But we always say if the weather stayed like it is right now, Jim, we couldn't afford to live here, you know? So we'll take any of this we can get, I'm telling you. Absolutely. But anyway, you guys do a good job, and we certainly appreciate it. God bless you. all be safe. Thanks, Thanks Jamie. Jamie. Thanks Man, we love you, in. Jamie. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, I, well, I already have shrubs out ready to go, you know, ready mm-hmm. to plant. And it's mostly evergreens. I mean, there's some things that I'm not going to have out 
yet, just because I don't want to have to bring them in later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, is. starting with the evergreens and some of the hardier things, you're... Do y'all have, um, y'all have any uh, Linton roses in yes. right now? I wrote down Linton roses, Jim, mm-hmm. uh, okay. in my notes. And I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. I'm going to tell you what I wrote down. <laughs> Perennial of the day. Helleborus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We had somebody mention on uh, on our Facebook group yesterday that um, they hadn't been able to find any, and I think, mm-hmm. well, you know, the independent garden centers ought mm-hmm. to have some. I sent them a private message and pointed them towards a couple of uh, yeah dependables. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. But I did. I wrote that down in my notes last night. Perennial. Perennial of yeah. the day is is, is mm-hmm. nothing I've got, but I've got some Gorgeous doubles in bloom. Painted double and wedding bells and. Those yeah. right now, they're just spectacular. Good. Yeah. Good. I just got yeah. some wedding bells in. I um, got a, a nice Anna's Red the other day out at uh, Dam West Highway 64. Ooh, I'm on plant here once it uh, weather gets a little more stable. I was afraid it looked a little bit tender, like it mm-hmm. may have been grown in a greenhouse. Yeah, that is uh, something we have to ask to find out because if we're bringing stuff to here and it's been grown in a greenhouse yeah. we need to yeah. think differently on how yeah, we have it, it outside yeah. a lot of the yeah. camellias that i see you know uh have been in protected houses where mm-hmm. it gets warmer during the day so they're beginning to pop color earlier yeah. than they would Normally. if they were in the ground yeah. so you know I, I bought i've got three camellias that are in the garage waiting to go in the ground just because i don't want them to lose that the, the color yeah you yeah, know, exactly. So. Well, it's like Carolina jasmine. We had it in the greenhouse. Yeah. I noticed that it just saw a little bit of buds starting. And I said, get those out of the greenhouse. Get them out of the greenhouse. I do not want them to bloom right now in the greenhouse. So when we took them out where it's cooler, yeah. then it slows it the blooming slows down. down. Yeah. Except for this week, it was 71. Uh, exactly. So same difference. <clears throat> you know, one but, thing that I didn't realize on Helleborus, which is the Lenten Rose, which is a great, like I said, the perennial of the day. I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Is uh, they're more or less evergreen around here. Yeah. Uh, they don't die down, you know, completely like mm-hmm. a hosta does, for right. example. But one thing I didn't realize is they don't mind that pH being on up there a little bit. You know, and they don't like (laughs) the perennials we find actually have a wide acceptable pH. But the The vast majority of them between six and a half and seven is ideal. That's exactly right, Jim. And Um, they do like it dry. I mean, they can tolerate dry definitely. If they're too wet, they'll just rot out. It's wonderful for dry shade. Yeah, which makes the hookara a good combination with it because the hookara. Which I was surprised, but the best place I see it is in dry shade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that would, so surprised me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the uh, texters on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page, Miss Pat, she said, "Well, coyote decoys skeer deer away from landscape plants. Skeer deer, scare, skeer, skeer." Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like you know the the owl that you can buy mm-hmm. and set it up there to repel other birds and, and rodents, People. right? Uh, but I don't know where you can get a coyote uh, decoy. I mean, but hunting, yes. Hunting, like, like at the hunting, <laughs> hunting well, place. Ba- Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, sells, thank like you. Like the, the big herons that you can use. Because really? if and you the put deer, the, the gray yeah. heron by your pond, then you won't lose fish to gray herons. Yeah, because there's goes, one yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, there's already one there, so another one won't land. So, uh, um, Pat, so yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can get your hands on some coyote decoys, uh, it most definitely will scare away uh, deer. Mm-hmm. But what we always say, if you're using a decoy like that, whether it's the owl yeah. or the snake or the coyote, 
you do want to move them around from time mm-hmm. to time. You don't want to leave them in the same spot all the time because I promise you, these critters will figure that out. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're sitting there. Hey, I don't there like this going, guy, but he's not moving. Yeah, they're you know? like, dude, <coughs> that, that thing hadn't moved in one to two weeks. Yeah, I'm going to move on over here. Yeah. He's not real. Mm-hmm. Let's head on out. Yeah. And then we had also a texter uh, on the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Uh, and thanks, Pat, for that, by the way. Um, Miss Mary, and she said, is it too early to move perennials? Um, no. no, not at all, as long as the ground's workable. Just, just have as long at it. you know where to dig, you're yeah. absolutely fine. And the ground's not, when you say workable, Jim, not just mucky wet. Yeah, you don't want, you know, like, say if it sticks to your shovel, it's probably too wet to dig and get your mm-hmm. soil broken up properly and settled back around the root system. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead and move it. In fact, I saw one of our posters had dug hundreds upon hundreds of uh, daffodils in full bloom. And they'll mm-hmm. be fine, okay? They're gonna they're gonna wilt down right now. Uh, they're you know they're gonna look kind of ratty, but when the foliage dies off, they'll be fine. They'll come back next year just just as never. absolutely yeah. So I um, mean, you know, there's some plants, daffodils, daylilies, irises that are just so tough. It's hard to kill them. Yeah, and then even on the daffodils, Jim, as you know, a lot of times when you plant them, of course, a lot of times initially we plant them too close together anyway. But with daffodils in particular, if they start getting really thick in there, uh, you'll get a lot of foliage and no bloom. Yeah, they'll start piling <laughs> up on top of themselves. So. so you need to get in there and dig them up yeah. to the bottom and replant About them. every five years, if they're multiplying a lot and you're getting a lot of foliage, you ought to get in there and, and separate them. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people think you have to wait until that foliage starts to die back naturally. No, you don't. No. Now, if you do it now, like you said, and they're, in, and they're blooming, then you, uh, you might sacrifice the bloom. But you're not hurting that bulb at all. Mm-hmm. And the other big thing also is make sure you don't plant them too deep. So when you dig them up and divide the daffodils, Veda, as you know, space them out a little further than maybe you have in the past and make sure that you don't plant them too deep. Uh, They'll be fine the next year. That makes me think of uh, memories again because we had, grandmother had a big daffodil hill, daffodil hill. Man, I can. Everybody just, had a daffodil they did. hill. Now there's no daffodil hills. Unless you drive anywhere. out to these there's rural one areas. There's the botanic garden that is spectacular. Oh yeah, they and have the, a huge daffodil. That's hill. true. Hundreds oh. of thousands of daffodils. And really? Then you the Dixon, oh my word! You know the Dixon usually has those tulips planted every year. Right. That'll be here coming up pretty soon. Yep. Or now, we'll be right back. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could join us for the third hour. I'm Veda with Palladio Gardens in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth Mabry with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman. And so we and have still got so of, much. Yeah, we're going to talk about here uh, in a little while oriental magnolias. You're seeing them in bloom right now, and we're going to talk about some of the cultivars uh-huh. that are real important for smaller gardens particularly because the one that we have seen the most of for years and years and years gets like 40 feet tall, and that's mm-hmm. Magnolia Selangiana. But we're going to Salsa talk about Magnolia. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the ones that are smaller uh, and better options for uh, a typical home lawn. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and if you're wondering um, how to better associate with what we're talking about, some people call it the tulip tree. That's right. The it's tulip magnolia. Called. One of them are yeah. the tulip tree. They're even tree. called tulip poplars here, but they're not poplars. They're no, not, I can attest tulip. to that. I've got a tulip uh-huh. poplar in my front yard That's that you can have. Tennessee yeah. State tree. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And no pink blooms. Right. Yeah. There's light pink, dark pink, plinks. Plinks. Yeah, but if you want to give us a call... Honestly, this morning, 260-5926, And, of course, go to the Mighty 990 Facebook page and shoot us a text like a lot of people have done this morning. And then, of course, uh, kwamradio.com uh, to listen live and also go back and listen to the podcast. So. I'm trying to squint and read uh, Jim's Magnolia Up list. You're cheating. Don't. I am, so that way I can talk back to you yeah. about the, it. Uh, <laughs> the list that, that I'm going to be talking about is on our website, on Good. our Facebook group, um, Mid-South Gardening. So you go to the file section. There's a little t- tab across the top there. Go to files, and, and there's a section called uh, Magnolias. I love it. <laughs> and it's, it, this, is, uh, this particular file just covers our... Uh, deciduous magnolias yeah okay and you know and so. honestly when i think of magnolia i think of the big southern magnolia this yeah, evergreen right. you know with white blooms right. and you think that's the only magnolia that's out there oh no yeah. and there are other evergreen magnolias but there's a plenty of them mm-hmm. uh, that are deciduous yeah like most people didn't know that um, a magnolia could actually lose its leaves mm-hmm. yeah that's right uh and, and of course even azaleas you know the mm-hmm. x-berry and the deciduous oh, azaleas right. you know that yeah. drop their leaves people are shaking their head like no azaleas are evergreen yeah. <laughs> but also real quick guys and i mentioned this earlier on the 2022 daffodil show which is really a cool thing uh, Saturday, March 19th, 2 to 5, and then Sunday, March 20th, 1 to 4, at the uh, Dixon Gallery and Gardens. Of course, it's in the Wine Gardener Auditorium. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can get on the Dixon Gallery and Garden webpage and uh, read about it and take a look at it. But, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a contest. You take your, your beautiful daffodils, uh, you know, in there, and, y- you know, it's all about bragging rights, you know. It really is, but... There, there are so many different, beautiful, unique daffodil blooms that are out there. But uh, remember, guys, March the 19th and March the 20th, uh, the 2022 Daffodil Show. So it's a daffodil, it's a jonquil, or it's a buttercup. Right. Yeah, and, and they're all... Or the narcissus. Yeah. Oh, how did I forget that? So you can call them four names and... They all mean the same. They do. Similar. I think daffodil Well, in people's minds, they mean the same, Jim. Yes. And then there's like... Because some are really a narcissus, and then some are really... They're actually all really a narcissus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all daffodils are narcissus, but not all are narcissus or daffodils. How does that make sense? Well, I think that's what I said, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. I don't think so. In a roundabout way. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. So tell us the difference. The well, when you when, honestly, when you walk into a garden center in the fall, typically, and you see daffodils and narcissus, uh, the narcissus are the ones that usually have a wonderful fragrance. Okay, like the paper white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are just old, con, you know, conventional mm-hmm. daffodil-looking narcissus, but they still have a fragrance where your daffodils typically don't, and that's just the simplest way. Uh, mm-hmm. That I tell people, but um, what what if they're in the bulb? You can't smell them. <laughs> now we're in trouble. They're still all nurses. Yeah, but see, I can't tell. If yeah. yeah, 
But most of your narcissists that are labeled narcissists actually do oh, have a fragrance. Well, you know what? If I go to that talk, I will really have all the detail on that. Yeah, you will. And that's, remember, March the 19th and uh, March the 20th at the Daffodil Show 2022. It'd be great. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. No if doubt. you're not doing anything today, um, open house today at Brussels Bullseye Nursery down in uh, uh, on Center Hill Road, just south of State Line, so it doesn't take any time to get down there. Uh, so if you get a chance, go by there. He's open, I think, till about 5 today. And um, you'll see some really nice uh, bull site. You'll have a chance mm-hmm. to buy some young ones to start with. See, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, so anyway, if you have right. an opportunity to go down there, it will open your eyes to the world of bull site. And if, you're not, uh, tra- if you don't want to travel far, you know, go to your independent garden centers because I know a lot of people instantly think I'm going to go to the big box stores right. to grab things. But there's not much available there. But if you go to independent garden centers now, we're like three-fourths of the way set up for the big spring coming up. We just yeah. don't have the summer annuals uh, to plant. But we've got a lot of advice to give. Yeah. And a lot of help to give. So um, also try those out. I had a lady come into the garden center. And I... I bet this probably happens more than what we hear. Uh, And she wanted to know if there was a way, uh, if I knew of anybody that could come out and dethatch her lawn. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I was like, well, nothing, I don't know anybody in particular that can do that. I know there's a lot of lawn care companies out there that probably offer that service. And she looked at me, she said, well, I've called three or four already and they don't Mm -hmm. offer that service. And I'm thinking, what? You know, why would a lawn care service not offer the service of dethatching someone's lawn? So, um, you know, we got to talk about it, and I uh, was actually trying to explain to her if she did have a thatch problem, why did she have one to start with, you yeah. know? And a lot of people we know is where you're cutting your grass, you know, uh, you're waiting too long in between grass cuttings. You're cutting too much of the blade off at one time, and you're actually creating a thatch buildup. Um and, you know, because I didn't want her to get this thing rectified and then continue to have a thatch buildup, okay? So, you know, I said, you know, there's an old-fashioned thatching rake, you know, that you manually drag through your lawn. And she wasn't keen on that. And then I knew at one time there were some thatching kits you could put on your lawnmower blade mm-hmm. that would, you know, pull up a lot of the thatch. But I also told her, I said, now, listen, you know, those are all mechanical ways to get rid of thatch. But there's also the old-fashioned humic acid, mm-hmm. uh, which I promise you used to be called dethatch, uh, and you can break that stuff down organically. And whether you're putting it down dry, it's under the name of soil activator now. Whether you're putting that down dry and watering the product in, or whether you're buying humic acid that you hook to your hose and spray, uh, and she was like, "Really? Yeah. You know?" So she she went that route, right? Um, so. You know, if you do have a, a thatch buildup, and some people do, I get that, in your, especially the Bermuda lawns, um, and sometimes even zoysia, if you don't want to try to take care of that problem mechanically, like I said, uh, humic acid, which is in, under the name humic acid, yeah. or it's under the name of soil activator, uh, it, it will help break that stuff right. down naturally. I like to use uh, some of the 
biological fertilizers because they have the humic acid in it already. Also, your grass will grow slower, which to some people they don't like, but if it grows slower, there's less water and less mowing. But you can get a lot of thatch because your soil's like dead soil, so it can't break down the grass. Or if we mow too much off the top, you're collecting the thatch. So if you're using organic products a lot, then you're naturally uh, processing that thatch out um, but then, like the humic acid, that's uh, natural or biological. Mm-hmm. And so using that in large amounts can help you get it dethatched quickly and then start working into using the natural fertilizers. Because my yard was never brown, even in the summer, because the organic product or the soil was feeding it. So every piece is green. Yeah. And so if you grow it fast and tall, then you mow it off and you've got well, brown. Well, and I do, you know, I like to promote a lot of fast growth, uh, especially early in the year, <laughs> as y'all both know. But I'll make sure that I get out there and try my best to cut it when it needs to be cut. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to cut a lot of that growth off. I don't wait two weeks between my cuttings which would be the biggest reason you would get fat no doubt about it and and of course you know compaction of the soil can cause some of that and excessive moisture can cause a lot of that but it's usually uh, the way that we're cutting our grass or and like you're saying veda what we're using to feed it with also (laughs) but uh, just remember guys uh soil activator or humic acid and that's a great product to use on your lawn anyway right throw it in your flower beds you can use it because it's carbon and you need carbon in your soil and if you're always using um fertilizers Mm -hmm. that don't build that carbon back into the soil especially if it's a new soil and you've got to help it along quicker to get that forest floor type of soil so but i was a little shocked though that she had called quite a few of the lawn care companies here in town and they did not offer that service i wonder why because not a lot of people ask for it maybe not sure you know Uh, you know i was reading about monty's remember how we sold monty's joy juice Mm -hmm. well now um because they're now they're starting to change or discuss the fact that um Synthetic fertilizers are going to be really expensive. They are going to cost more this year than they have in a long time. Right. So they're recommending using the Monty's Joy Juice on hay. Or the Fox Farm or some of those type products. Yeah, Yeah. using that on your your hay crop. So, I mean, you're still going to use some of the synthetic but since it's so expensive, they're saying, okay, let's use natural because it works anyway. Now it's cost effective. And they're recommending foliar spray, not on the soil, but on, actually on the hay, two to three inches. Yeah, it's so. crazy, you know, in the, with the inflation that we're having that everybody's feeling right now. Uh, it does, it's costing more to produce synthetic fertilizers, okay, uh, yeah. because of the process. Where this year in particular, and, and who knows how long, but this year in particular, uh, organics are not tending to go up in price like mm-hmm. the synthetic fertilizers are uh, because of the processing it mm-hmm. takes where with organics you know there's no petroleum involved and all that so you know it will, you'll probably see a lot more people this year using organics than you have in years past yeah that's unfortunate that's one of the reasons that we're switching to organic well is but because it, of a price thing but then that's a lot of reasons people didn't use it was because of the price point right. but i mean it's the same thing if you eat really healthy then you don't have to spend a lot of money on sugary food to give you energy. So healthy will help 
deter long-term <laughs> issues. It may be cut down on the thads, too, right? Yes. Not near as fun, though. No, it, I man, I got to agree with you on that one. It's hard to get off the sugar fix, and we're going to take a break, or we're fixing to be a health show. We'll you be right it. back. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And I want to hear some more about these fabulous magnolias. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about magnolias. The oriental magnolias are what we call tulip trees here Mm -hmm. in the south. Uh, They're starting to bloom now. um, And there are a number of cultivars now. The, The one that we had... There were two that we had for years, okay? One was a white star-shaped flower, Magnolia stellata. Mm-hmm. It makes a, tr- uh, a multi-trunk shrub 12, 15 feet tall or so. Beautiful star-shaped flowers on them. Uh, and then we had Magnolia selangiana, which was the typical kind of rose pink mm-hmm. outside and white on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they've done a lot of crossing, and there are some that are more suited for smaller lots because... Selangiana would get 40 feet tall, you know, great tree. And and one of the neat things about them is they quite often will throw some flowers during the season. So you'll have some, in August, you'll have a few purple flowers or white flowers. On so, them, that, so that's normal. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, that's normal. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, and one of the other bad things about them was they water sprouted a lot. Okay. So mm-hmm. they wanted to become multi-trunk things. But there's some now that are much more controlled. There's a whole series now named after girl names. There's Anne, Betty, I'm running down the list here, Elizabeth, Jane, mm-hmm. uh, Susan. These are these are great in there. They all have different colors. Um, Susan's one of the, I think the prettiest one has and a see, real, that's has one a, that I haven't even heard has of. Has a fuchsia Same. flower. Uh, and uh, it, it gets 12 feet tall or so. Uh, Betty is, is a real good one. Uh, it's 10 feet tall, purplish red on the outside, white on mm, the inside. Nice. Uh, the most popular probably is Jane. Yeah. Uh, it has deep purple outside, white inside, and it wants to be a, a single trunk tree. It mm. doesn't want to be a multi-trunk tree like the rest of them. So it makes a really good And how one. tall does that one get, Jim? About 10 feet. About 10 feet. Yeah, it's it's one of the smaller ones. Up. Now, is Alexandria on that one Alexandrina also? is Adrena, the correct yeah. name for it. Yeah. yeah, we used to call it Alexander and alexander uh, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it was it was one of the first hybrids we saw it right. was a rose purple on the outside uh but it was also a big tree got to be 30 feet tall or so and, and aren't these things like really easy to grow oh they are I yeah mean, they're also, pretty much idiot proof i mean uh, you know i can grow them so so if yeah. but you know when people always say I, I want like a little ornamental tree there I guess you could think of these as an ornamental tree. That's what yeah. I'm now, and small, yeah. the Jane. Right. Yeah. right. Well, all those that you just mentioned right there are going to be smaller than that saucer magnolia that gets 30 to 40 foot tall. Mm-hmm. But I guess with most of these, though, we're looking at these as a multi-trunked mm-hmm. Most of tree, them are, yeah. you know? And yeah. like the Stellata, there is a, there's a, a slight pink version called Dr. Merrill. I've heard that, of that. That's real pretty, and it's been used across a lot. We now have a, a variety called Randy that's a star-shaped purple flower. Uh, so and it's, that it's, would be cool. Yeah, it's it's really a cool-looking plant. So there are lots of these out there that are that are have great flowers on them. 
and, and they all typically bloom early, early in the year. Early spring. Yeah. Now, there are some that bloom after the leaves come off, some other magnolias like the cucumber magnolia, the big leaf magnolia. Big leaf magnolia uh, is just a spectacular plant. I had a gorgeous one until the neighbors cut their trees down and the sunlight burned it up. What about the uh, swamp? But it has it had at least it might, be thirty it be inch the, long and twelve you know, inches those, wide. Those li- it yeah. looks like a, looks giant like a banana. banana tree. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, uh, great plant. First uh-huh. time I saw one of those, I'm like, hold on, how's that yeah. thing? It's a massive uh-huh. tree, but how's it growing here? Yeah, I, right. I stopped at a, a to a, a park down in, in North Georgia one time, uh, and they had. They were growing all in the woods there. They had Canadian mm-hmm. hemlocks that were, you know, 50 feet tall. And they had these magnolias like that that were 30 mm-hmm. to 50 feet tall. Just absolutely gorgeous. What about any conditions? And Marie, hang on just a second. I know you're uh, holding. She's on hold. But, Jim, any particular conditions as far as growing these deciduous magnolias? Well, for the flowering ones, the ones that bloom in early spring, the main thing is the more sun you get them, the better they're going to bloom. So at least half a day sun, at, if at not least, more. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so... With the, the big leaf ones, they actually thrive in some shade and have, if they're protected, the wind doesn't beat the foolage up so bad. So they're kind of cool looking uh, to have in the shade. But Yeah, those uh, magnolias I saw at Wolf River Bottoms planted along, uh, growing in with the uh, cypress trees and all, because I did the same thing. I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. They were calling them their swamp magnolia. Yeah which I don't know, you know, which swamp magnolia or what it was, mm. but that's what they were calling, they, the people around that area. Yeah, who were they, right? Yeah, right. The people around that area, when I asked, they had, they identified it as a swamp magnolia. So, so anyway, check that out. Go check them out. They're great flowering trees uh, and they don't have any issues normally with like we've had with the ice storms. They're, they, uh, they'll bend, but they don't break very well. I, I have yeah. to agree with you. And I guess on any of those, I mean, there again, most of them want to grow as a multi-trunk. But if you're patient, I mean, you could, you know, get in there and, and selectively cut out yeah. those trunks and have a single trunk, mm-hmm. you know, any of those. Right. I do like the multi-trunks. Me too. Okay, let's go to Maria. Good morning, Maria. Thanks for the call. How can we help you today? I have a question about the dimensions pre-emergence. Yes, ma'am. And um, I I went to buy some. Yeah. And I happened to be at a, be- a big box store, and yeah. they had it. But it threw me off when um, it had a number like a fertilizer on it. No. The, it was just just the last number was like point zero zero seven. I know nitrogen's the first one. I can't remember what the last one. And I wasn't I wasn't expecting anything like that in a pre emergence, but Yeah, I mean you same thing. Marie, you can get pre emergence mixed with fertilizers, okay? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so there's, I mean, when people come into Dan West Garden Center and they want Dimension, then it's under the name of High Yield Weed and Grass Stopper. It contains just Dimension. Nothing else is in that bag other than that pre-emergent. But there uh-huh. are some pre-emergents, and I haven't seen it with Dimension, but mm-hmm. I, it could very well right. happen, that they are mixed with a fertilizer also. Um, yeah, I'm glad yeah. that you, you discerned that. 
to check and find out what it is because really the one thing that we had difficulty with is when it was time to put your pre-emergent down, it's really not time to fertilize. Yeah, but they what they well, put in there is ju- they've yeah. just put a small amount of potash in there. <laughs> no nitrogen right. and no phosphorus. Yeah. The potash, we have found that if you apply in the fall about two pounds of potash per thousand square feet, it will significantly lower your chances for fungal problems in, in susceptible turf. So that's why it will, or it won't. It it will. will. yeah. That's it why it's will. it's added in there. It's it's for a commercial operator who wants to add that and at the same time put his dimension down. So he he cuts his labor in half basically by not having to do it twice. And even though it's not fall, Jim, it's still no foul. No putting problem it down putting right in the spring, but yeah. it, it's primarily for to prevent winter issues with fungal problems. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're so Marie, you're fine, and this is the perfect time of year to go ahead and get that product down. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. Uh, I didn't. I haven't had a chance to get out. I usually go to Dan West. Yeah. Way out east. Yeah. And I just because of the weather and yeah. problems, I haven't had an issue to get out there. Yeah. But uh, I will check that. What? So uh, look at your cost per square foot, though. That's what's going to be critical. What do you say? Uh, you may. Okay. It, a lot of times, we find that some of the commercial products. Uh, are not priced correctly for homeowners. Ah, good That's point. a nice way of saying they're too yes. expensive. Yeah, and we got to run to a break, yeah. guys. we got about 10 seconds. Oh, but, Marie, okay. go ahead and get that pre-emergent down. Uh, this is the perfect time of year to do it and keep all that stuff from coming up later on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Marie. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. One thing I was telling the guys on the break, and I'm hearing it everywhere, is the uh, garden centers can't find enough people to help. Yep. Everybody know. needs help. Yep. And if every- you want a little part-time job, now's a good time to go get one at a garden center. Yeah, no doubt. You know? I mean, just think, it's exercise, you get fresh air, yeah. it makes you happy, you get some zen. Now, let me yeah. translate that for you. Yeah. You get to buy plants at a reduced price but it's hard work <laughs> that's exactly but right, right jim Dana. but let's go back to <laughs> but, the but garden everybody centers. loves that if you're a gardener mm-hmm. you know you know you don't have to have the knowledge knowledge to be at the garden center it's just like what you've heard forever i just need somebody to show up somebody's got a great personality he knows how to water a few plants knows, how, knows how to load and yeah. knows how to smile at customers and, you then, know? and knows how to learn wants to learn and be energetic at it so don't think that you have to be um, hugely educated no. in gardening. Not when you first step into a garden right. center. Right, but, know, but, but you, yeah. you kind of need to learn some stuff after that. <laughs> Jim, and that was great about those deciduous hollies. And, you know, I was just thinking over the break, is there anything, I mean, I can't think of a particular pest or fungal mm-hmm. pr- reason why we wouldn't plant those. And deciduous I, and I, magnolias? Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you know, a lot of people like to know that, okay, you know, these no are all, those, those are all the good mm-hmm. points. Is What's the bad points about these? Yeah, to me, the yeah. only downside of uh, some of the other, the original mm-hmm. ones was the fact that they water sprouted so bad. Uh, right. You, know, you, you could have one and then six feet away, yeah. you'd have one pop up. Uh, but most of the new ones don't do that. They've been hybridized back and, and, and crossed back against each other. So they are genetically modified organisms. <laughs> so don't flip out. Not genetically engineered. They yeah. just hybridized two of them. There you go. So, you know. And yeah, then, I, I, 
I love, love, love the deciduous magnolias also. And I planted the little Jane. I've lived mm-hmm. in three houses, and each one had a whole different um, type of garden. Yeah. One house was like mm-hmm. all water gardens. Had yeah. like three. And then, and then the other one was all annuals and perennials and maybe a few bones for structure. Yeah. But then when I, the last plate I did, like in the front was the spring garden. Yeah. It had the magnolia. It had the forsythia in it. Maybe a quince stuck in there. Exactly. And then I did the daffodils and the um, grape hyacinths. Yeah. And so, and I didn't care that all of it busted out and bloomed at one time. Early in the year. Because I wanted to section everything and see how that was instead of intermingling it. So it's it's very pretty look, especially right now, because they're the... What else is blooming besides those now? I mean, we're seeing the forsythias a little bit. A little bit. I've got quince that are just beginning to pop. Yeah. Right. And yeah. the and and the like Jim was saying, those magnolias are absolutely beautiful right now. A couple more things, guys. Uh, and you know, I always like to talk about some of the questions that the customers mm-hmm. present to me during the week. Uh, one, of course, and and we've talked about this all the time too. But I just want to just bring it up real quick. Is you know, when do I cut back my hydrangeas? Uh, because, you know, right now, you know, the old fashioned, you know, pink and blue blooming hydrangeas that we all grew up with, you know, a lot of, they're just a bunch of sticks right now. Uh, and so if you've got those hydrangeas and they, of course, people go out there and go, oh, they look horrible. I'm going to cut them back. Mm-hmm. You can do that, but you're not going to have any bloom this year for say, for the most part, typically speaking on the old fashioned hydrangeas, the blues and the pinks. You cut them back right after they bloom. And uh, you need to actually do that no later than August the 1st. Okay? August 1st. Yeah, because okay. anytime after August the 1st, you're really affecting that, that bud formation for the next year's bloom. So do that right after they bloom. And it's usually sometime in the summer. Now, the old, I shouldn't say the old, the ones that everybody is planting now, mm-hmm. you know, the limelights, the little limes, the bobos, the annabelles, and all of those, they bloom off the same year's growth. So you can go out there today, this weekend, and cut those things back if you want to. You don't have to. You can deadhead them, not a problem, because they're going to bloom off the same year's growth. And I've asked Jim, and I maybe I think I've asked you before too, Veda, is there a benefit of cutting the limelights back as far as not cutting them back and i guess it depends on what kind of bloom you're trying to get jim yeah, it's not i wouldn't say it's a benefit but it the growth habit is different yeah if you cut them back hard you get long sprouts that have these huge flowers on them if you let them twig up and yeah. don't cut them back you get a lot more flowers but they're tiny ones they're just not as big that's right so <laughs> if you're wanting to give shade to undergrowth like i have one that uh, I've got it. It's got three or four main trunks, and I've trimmed it to tree form. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. up underneath it are sacred lilies. There's some. Uh, I like gin- that look. There's yeah. some ginger. There's some uh, brute. Um, uh, the. Be- I have some four of those. Of those. <laughs> I have four. Yeah. Of those. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but the, it, there's shade plants that it are it up doesn't. underneath there. You know, at one time there was an elm tree over them, but the elm's right. gone. So I've got that in there, and I've also got. A, a Florida Lakota weed that casts some shade onto that area. 
So um, those, you know, I just let that one grow, and it has um, zillions of them. And during the summertime, it's just loaded with, with yeah. bees coming over it and yeah. that sort of thing. But uh, but so but I got five in the front that are going probably this weekend back to the twelve inches tall. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying because so many people also make the mistake of cutting their you know their pinks and the blues back this time of year, and just just throw it out there. That's you know. That's not something that you want to do if you're expecting a bloom mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, so. and doing it in the summertime quite often is the culprit. People will go out there and say, well, they're getting a little ragged. I'll cut them off. And you just cut off next year's flowers because yeah. they've already started forming. Yeah. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Don't so. don't cut those back after August the 1st. I mean, it's just that's not a good thing to do. Now, if I see one or going to go prune on some hydrangeas and it's got this one long stem, of course, oh, yeah. and you've got all the nice green buds on it. But the last six inches are really, there's no buds and it's dead. Can I go yes. right to that bud? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have one mop head that I didn't remove the flower heads on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometime in the next week or so, I'm going to go in and take off, like you say, that top six inches. It's got mm-hmm. a dried flower uh, where it has died because yeah. it, it just didn't survive the winter. Uh, and that's uh, that's not unusual here. We tend we well, obviously our weather is the pits, but <laughs> a lot of times in the fa- fall we'll get uh, it'll stay warm enough that we get a little burst of growth mm-hmm. uh, in September and October that doesn't harden off before mm-hmm. we get a freeze on it. So we see it a lot in Japanese maples. We see it a lot in hydrangeas where you'll just get an, a couple of inches that will die back. See, it's okay to go in there and prune those out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I say, I've got the, the I've got a strawberry in cream. I've got oh, a bobo. Man. I've got a um, bombshell. I've bombshell, got a, not with that one unnamed either. one. And then there's one more. But all of those are ones you can actually go in there and cut back. They're going back this weekend yeah. probably to 12 inches or so. Yeah. And another thing, guys, I like to mention, if I may, for a second, mm-hmm. is, you know, spring bulbs are starting to come into the garden centers. You know, whether it's the cannas, the elephant eaters, the caladiums, uh, the dahlias. Oh, those man, the alocasias. Oh, my word. Yes. And, Betty, you're, you know, you yes. know all about it. They're just now really starting to come in. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, people love caladiums. And whether you're buying caladium plants later on or whether you're buying the bulbs this weekend, the one thing I just want to mention is, especially when it comes to the bulbs, you do typically want to wait until the nighttime temperatures are steadily in the 60s or above before you start putting these bulbs in the ground outside. It is a perfect time of year to buy the bulbs mm-hmm. and save them uh, or, or store them right. or just hold them until you get ready to plant them. Because then there won't be any There available. won't be any when you're ready. That's right. And I have like the wildflower bulbs, like the trillium and the jack-in-the-pulpit. Yes. Yeah, those two that, that you can't find them readily in containers because I think they're hard to they are. actually grow in containers. But And the bulbs are the corms which are so tiny in that, that package. But it's worth it to try to get some of those. But most of the other spring bulbs, you know, like the cannas and the alocasias, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the elephant ears, beta, uh, and those type of bulbs, most of those you can go ahead and start putting in the ground anytime. As long as the ground yeah. can be worked, you're fine. Right. You know, if it's not muddy, mucky, uh, like Jim was saying, as long as dirt's not, uh, you know, clinging to the mm-hmm. shovel, you know. Yeah. Um, you well, can our soil temperature, like on the... 
but palladiums, the, but the palladiums the, are different, though. Yeah, and, sixty plus. Okay, at 60 night, sixty plus. But we could do elephant ears now. Mm-hmm. You can do elephant ears because you're going to put them deep enough that mm-hmm. you're not going to have to worry about it, and they're not as temperature sensitive as palladiums. That's right. Good because we have that big mammoth bulb. Yeah, you, you got. I mean, it's almost like you got to see this one. Like, it like looks like, like a football. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that the reason why you can we've got them from the mammoth all the way down to the smaller ones. But if you're going with the mammoth. You get bigger well, leaves sooner. Yes, yes. Yeah. and yes. that's the thing. Kind of like an amaryllis bulb. You know, the bigger the bulb, the bigger the bloom. Same thing with an elephant ear. You know, and there's whether it's the ones that the elephant ears that droop mm-hmm. down or the elephant ears that point upward, uh, which I love. <laughs> Have them. you ever seen an elephant with their ears straight well, up? Well, <laughs> but, yeah. If he's but charging, <laughs> but I, I, Ooh, I don't want to see that. But then. I like both of those looks. I really mm-hmm. do. But uh, the bigger that bulb is, first of all, the more stalks you're going to have come up on that bulb. And the bigger those ears are going to be that first year right. also. so. Well, I do yeah. take it back because Dumbo's ears went straight up when he was flying. See, there you go, Beta. <laughs> Elephants but, flying. Hey, there was one thing I'd want to uh, go over. I forgot, to about the hydrangeas. I've seen or heard some stuff about should you put super phosphate? now or should you put super phosphate or phosphate down now does that do any benefit for your hydrangeas putting it down now for flowers yeah no because it Mm -hmm. takes too long jim to break it down well the flowers are from last summer right right well but they haven't bloomed yet well the buds are there the buds are there there. there. they started forming i you know you're i think being generous at august 1st i usually say july 1st well you're right i I mean technically it's august 1st but i agree with what you're saying Mm -hmm. Um, because we have weird weather but now but superphosphate which is a middle number of a fertilizer uh, and it does take a while for the soil to break the phosphate down and, and let it become available to the plant but you're right. Anything that blooms, uh, you typically can can benefit from bone meal or superphosphate or triple mm-hmm. superphosphate. But most of these soil analysis that we do yeah. around here, mm-hmm. these phosphate right. levels are that already was, off the yeah. chart. That was the you other know? thing, yeah. Clay, it doesn't move through clay well. Now, if you throw phosphorus into uh, your compost pile, go right to the bottom. And that, and really? Goes, that is right amazing. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing in there to hang on to it, so it's gone. Um, and in some soils that are sandy, that's the reason that you see so many fertilizers, particularly lawn fertilizers mm-hmm. now that have no phosphorus in them, right. period, right. because it will go right through the sand and then get in the water system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in our clay soil, you don't have to worry about that. It, it, it that binds phosphate. to that clay quick. And in, in plants just don't need a lot of it. Yeah. So yeah. you most of our soils around here, it's it's plenty, you know. And if it's you've been fertilizing religiously through the years, you can you can get toxic on it pretty mm-hmm. quick. So you want to be very careful yeah. about applying it if you really don't need it. Exactly. Good. Thank you for clarifying that because I've seen a lot of controversy on that one for some reason lately. And um We've just got not too much longer till the mm-hmm. last hours, but we're going to last hours, last hour, but we're going to head off to a break and then come back and go over the last minute topics you need to do in your garden. You got it. Good morning and welcome back. You know, something that we were chatting about in the show and just listening to you two talk about it made me think about the fact that sometimes the wrong 
uh, fertilization, like you were saying, if we put something down now that's really not needed, it can actually affect the plant later on. Well, you know, I think I've mentioned on here when uh, my friend Dale Skaggs took over at Dixon Gallery and Gardens. The heart director over there. Yeah, super guy. Worked for me back when he was real young. Um, And he started running some tests over there and found they were at toxic levels on in a lot of the garden. So he immediately made a no phosphorus rule. Isn't that amazing? No fertilizer comes on the property that's got phosphorus in it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in his case, that's real important because you're putting on a show with, yeah. you know, a, a quarter million tulips and yeah. things like that. You want everything right. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have 100,000 tulips in bloom, but if they got yellow foliage, yeah. it ain't pretty. That's right. <laughs> you know, so. And, and even think about aluminum sulfate that people mm-hmm. are put around their hydrangeas to make them blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really does help acidify that soil and get you blue blooms. But if you overdo it, yeah. if you have too much aluminum in the soil, you also are you got a problem, right. you can, okay? You can, in a heartbeat, lock up your nitrogen if it, if the pH gets too low. Uh, when you start approaching 5, aluminum's going to take that nitrogen, and it don't matter how much you feed it, it just doesn't get it. That's so right. you feed it more, and it uh-huh. still doesn't get it. Because so, I'm trying to make my blooms purple, so right. I'm thinking yeah. that if I put more of that out, it's going to change. Yeah, the, if you want them yeah. purple, you got to raise it, okay? Purple is actually the midway between pink and blue. Right. Doesn't seem the, like it, the, but it is. The isn't deeper it? blue it will be if you, you know, have got uh-huh. lots of aluminum present and that mm-hmm. pH is low, and it's what makes the aluminum available. But don't overdo it. That's right. You know, don't overdo That's any what I'm of saying. this stuff. Yeah. Since I'm wanting them purple, you feel like you should add more, more, more. Yeah, raise that pH and the pink. You get your pink color because mm-hmm. the aluminum's not available anymore. How far could I take my pH down to get the purple? Uh, about five is about as low as you want to go. So you would really need to get your soil tested enough. I mean, if you're really wanting to get them to purple, you'll mm-hmm. have to put some effort in there because we don't want to overdo it. Mm-hmm. So probably getting your soil tested to make sure you're not dropping your pH to four, you know, because then that would just be nothing either. Right. Well, but yeah, but whether it's, a, you know, aluminum sulfate, whether it's a spoma soil acidifier, where, you know, there's even fertilone liquid soil acidifier. And then, of course, there's soil sulfur. I mean, any of those products that bring the pH down are going to typically make your hydrangeas more, well, the ones that are the big leaf hydrangea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will make them more blue or purple. Hey, what's the one that makes them whiter? A magnesium sulfate. But mm-hmm. I've never seen a blue-blooming hydrangea like mm-hmm. Penny Mac or Endless Summer or some of those that truly bloom p- blue or pink, right? Mm-hmm. I've never seen somebody convert that over to a complete white. No, it no won't. I haven't you either, know, but the won't. white ones. Like the white the, ones yeah. that, yeah. Sister Teresa, which actually mm-hmm. is a very, very pale pink. You can get it nearly white. In Blushing Bride, yeah, you, know, you can almost get it white. Um, but magnesium sulfate mm-hmm. helps do that, which is, which is Epsom salts mm-hmm. is yeah. all it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then... Um, I lost it, so go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and the other thing real quick, and I know we only got a few more minutes, that people are going to start seeing a lot of this early in the season uh, are the roses. Uh, yeah, you know, we're starting, yeah, we're starting to get roses invaded just like y'all are. Uh, and whether it's the hybrid teas, the floribundas, the grandiflores, the shrub roses mm-hmm. like the knockouts or the drip roses, the climbers, and then, of course, the David Austin roses. Um, but the, the, the biggest thing I'm, I'm, I want to say real quick is, I don't care what kind of rose you're buying. 
They need a couple things. They need well-drained soil. They don't mind water, but they hate wet feet. Mm-hmm. They need a lot, a good amount of moisture, yeah, but not They sitting. love water, yeah. but they don't want to sit in water. That's right. So well-drained soil. They, they generally need at least half a day sun, more sun than shade. They love full sun. But uh, you see a lot of people putting roses in there where they just don't get enough sun. Mm-hmm. They'll grow. They'll even bloom, but they'll never be prolific right. there. You'll have more disease problems Yes, as yes. Well. So uh, keep that in mind. And then they do like the, the uh, pH a little high also. That's why a lot of people, when they're out there uh, putting lime around their boxwoods this time of year, they're putting some little lime around those roses too. Right. You know, there used to be this mixture that we used for boxwoods. Uh, the bone, no, the, the cottonseed uh, mill, cotton mill, mill organite goes with it too. The lime. Yeah, the lime. So now luckily you can get that already mixed together and say the plant tone. So in that way you just have to, you don't have to buy it all and make it gourmet, you know. So I got to buy me some of this and some of this. I'm going to yeah. sprinkle a little bit here, mix a little. You can buy it uh, pre-made too. And uh, Plantone's the one that has it because Plantone has more lime in it too, which is needed for the boxwood than say the Holly Tone. Yeah. Because there's so many tones now. I'm and reading. And they're all very similar. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're just ha- change some of the nutrient level yeah. to be a little more phosphorus. Or maybe for blooming, garden tone, you know. But it's a little more all lime. of these are made for the average garden and that's critical here because the average garden in nashville is not the same as the average garden in memphis wow okay so it's very important that you know your ph when you choose these things yeah i you know you get to nashville and people will put mere acid spray them on azaleas every single year you know you do that here and they're going to go downhill in a heartbeat yeah because in nashville i guess it's more alkaline than it is here their ph is typically higher yeah before you go applying anything you need to know the basics and the the thing if if you know nothing else about your garden you need to know know the the ph and also you know and i know we only got one more minute uh there are some really good soil amendments out there whether it's soil activator soil perfecter the garden soils mm-hmm. uh you know the compost beta yeah. that we talk about any and all of those products are wonderful to amend your right. soil to create better drainage. so it can make it easy just look for fox farm mm-hmm. or earth mix or any of the back back to nature's of course, you can get some homemade compost for the, mm-hmm. some of these other places, some of these places that are starting to get into making for real, for real compost. But literally, it's just look for Fox Farms, Back to Nature Blend, or Earth Mix, and you'll be safe with that. Yeah, and we always like to look at Claire because she gives us the, hey, it's time to wrap it up. And Claire plays some really good music this morning, too. I know. I like that. Thanks, Claire. So, y'all, y'all can listen to us on the podcast. And uh, we will see you next weekend in the Mid-South Gardens.